podcast this week, we are joined by the greatest M. Bassett this side of the England manager. It's MJ Bassett, the director of Megan Fox vs. Lions movie Rogue. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that can confirm that the only thing it will be streaming on Christmas Day is a never-ending parade of Maltesers right into its gaping maw. Hmm... Maltesers. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, you think we'd be in a jubilant mood this week, folks, but uh, we're not. Things are rather sad around here mm. because as we're recording this, it is 1616 on Thursday, the 19th of November 2020. I want to say I'm very confused about what day, year, week it is. It's the end of Supernatural tonight, isn't it? Helen O'Hara, you it must is. be distraught. I'm, I'm pretty upset. Yeah, I, I don't you, really know what to do with myself. Still hot and bothered from the uh, Wincest thing or whatever it was that happened the other week. The what? slash fiction come to life. Isn't this what happened? It was not Wincest. Destiel. Destiel. Destiel, what was it? Destiel yeah. is a very different thing. But you know, I'm glad that the writers saw fit to pay tribute, really, to the fans. I think in that respect, and and to the characters. I mean, it's all there, guys. Mm. Open your How eyes. How many times did you have to write stories and submit them for this <laughs> to to be accepted? I admit nothing. I genuinely, you know, this. I've bought me. I've I've read one piece of fanfic in my life and written none. So. Mm. So just to be clear, so so which just, one just was rubbing, clear, which one's James Dyer speaking, who has no idea apparently how podcasts work, but despite having appeared on hundreds of them, this is James Dyer speaking. Who, who, what, what sort of layer of suspense do you think after all these podcasts, people are like, I wonder who's going to be there? Who could possibly be on the podcast? Who is this Chris Hewitt of which you speak? Well, there is yeah. a fourth person here. There's there some is, suspense there. Is, there. There, is, there is, I don't know, a protocol to these things, which is that you assume <laughs> that some people may have never listened to the podcast before and they've no idea who the hell we are. So we introduce ourselves one at a time. Mm. So that's Helen O'Hara. Hello. This is James Dyer. Hi. And this is Beth Webb. Hello. <laughs> right, Jimbo, what were you saying? Christ almighty. I, who even knows at this point? <laughs> Dear Lord. It's like, honestly, you're such a stickler like, for it's, rules. It's like, fun. it's like herding lions. It's ridiculous. Yes. Uh, but anyway, yes, we're, we're, we're all very, very sad because after mm. today, this is it. There, there, no more nipples on network television. Uh, again. Ever. Ever. I mean, this I just, ever again. It's the last time Dean and Sam like will press their two nipples together to no. create the Voltron of nipples. One <laughs> giant yeah. mega nipple yeah. that it's, will fight evil. What's happening? Nipples are clamped. I really what? worry how much you've confused people about what this show is and, and how topless it is, which is not nearly enough. You should see answer. how disappointed my Pornhub results search is. Supernatural nipples. Yes. Dean nipples. <laughs> Sam nipples. I don't think anybody's been topless since about about season eight. So James, uh, take your top off now. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean Steady. you mean on the show on Supernatural, on show, not on yeah, the podcast. On the show, oh, right, yeah, okay. No, not, right, right, right. Okay. My word. No. But yeah, I got to thinking today as I was uh, you know, I was gonna set up the whole supernatural thing for you and um mm. when was the last time you got really sad about the end of a TV show? So Helen, it's clearly tonight for you because yeah. Supernatural's about to end. And I don't know I don't know anything about the show. Not that I'll be I, watching it live, but yeah, it is. No, you won't be because oh, it's, no. it we don't we, we don't get it for what, weeks, oh, months, months, years? Months, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. But presumably you'll be keeping your ear close to the ground and Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. Jimbo, when was the last time you're the, you're apparently a TV guy? Oh god, I'm setting this up, aren't I? <laughs> oh god. You're you're It's like a car crash in slow motion. You can see what's myself. coming. I can't I'm, pump, I'm pumping the brakes and nothing's um, happening. I'm, I'm, my my wheels have hit the ice. I have no grip. 
Uh, Jimbo, you host podcast. Funnily enough, yeah. it's this week, actually. I have been bereft as of Monday this week uh, because I've been watching Counterpart, which is the Justin Marks show from uh, a couple of years ago, which stars J.K. Simmons and J.K. Simmons as different versions of himself. <laughs> in a kind of like it's a, it's a, a sort of a Berlin set noir Cold War analogy sci-fi show, and it's fucking brilliant. It's got Nicholas Pinnock and Olivia Williams and Harry Lloyd in it. And it is genuinely, and I don't say this lightly, it is now one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. Oh, like, wow. It is among my favourite ever wow. TV shows. There are only two seasons of it. It didn't get renewed after the second season, but it does have a proper a proper sort of ending. Okay. Mm. And Simmons is unbelievable. Uh, and it's really layered. Like, it's quite slow burning. There's an awful yeah. lot going on in it. Um, you can only view it on stars, which you can get through Amazon, but you have to pay for mm. it. Um, season one's available on DVD. Season two isn't. So uh, it's of limited uh, availability. But I will be banging on about this at some length on the Pilot TV podcast, which is. goes out on Monday. There he is. Let <laughs> mm-hmm. me just put that's the first cutting point. <laughs> Cut that bit. All right. There are some TV shows that genuinely leave you a bit, like, a bit destroyed like West Wing yes. obviously Battlestar Battlestar obviously Buffy for sure mm. um, Angel mm. also because that ending oh that ending oh, yeah. oh my um, god when it ended could you believe what happened at the ending of Buffy <laughs> Angel Angel's the one we're clearly Angel? talking about right Angel now Angel ended yeah. Buffy Angel. Buffy <laughs> ended Angel I mean well, that one time kind of but you know yeah, yeah. oh my word very true oh, straight to hell hello <laughs> The Wire, the final episode of The oh, Wire yeah. did that for me as well. Incredible with the show. montage, that was... Mine oh. was Fleabag, when she just sort of turns yes. down over her shoulder oh. and she's like, bye. And I'm like, no, Enough now. take me with you. <laughs> yeah. Please can oh. I come? Because that's done. She's done. I know. She's not coming back. That was really mm. sad. That's just two series, though. That's just 12 episodes. That's lazy. I mean, honestly. I mean, that's like That's half, a, legacy, that's half a season of Two and a Half Men. Half a season of but, Supernatural, yeah. But the the reason why this sort of, it hurts so much, and it's kind of, it's why I love kind of long-form storytelling across all mediums. Like, I love TV shows, you know, and I love I love long fantasy novel series because you spend time with these characters. Mm. You become friends with these characters, and so you mourn them when they're gone. Mm. Like, when you get to the end of the Wheel of Time, having poured however many decades and 20-odd hey. books into yep. it, Alan the Warder... Al yeah, Lan, Al Lan. So there's an apostrophe there. Apostrophes <laughs> matter, James. You're arguing with the wrong person on this one. No, I have the same thing. I, I, um, a couple of times I've gone back and read all the Harry Dresden books, which, as I've said before in this podcast, are my crack cocaine. They're so addictive. I'm not saying they're healthy, but my they're addictive. My crack is crack. I just oh, love well, it. You know, each to their own. It's um, so good. If you want to get me anything for Christmas, folks, crack. Crack. <laughs> but Harry Dresden, when I when I finish reading, like if I read a bunch of those books on a stretch and I can read about all 14 of them in about a week, I How? genuinely feel a bit bereft. How could you read so fast? They're not long books. <laughs> Helen's got like that time turner thing that Hermione, you are basically Hermione. <laughs> uh, and so she reads multiple books at once. Like, but in how very much different of it sticks? I mean, it like, all how sticks. much do you remember? Okay, okay, okay. Page 67 of the third Harry Dresden novel. What happens? <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a great page. <laughs> I've read better pages in my yeah, life. It doesn't, it doesn't really like it doesn't really get great until about book four. Like the, the first three are fun, but like book four is where it starts. Okay. On the page scale, is it mm. uh, from Jimmy to Elaine? Where is it? Jimmy and Elaine? Jimmy Page to oh, Elaine. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm like, is We're this not a on the same page, is this Helen. Therein lies the problem. Like, I remember Lane and Seinfeld. I don't remember Jimmy, Jimmy and Seinfeld. Who's Jimmy and Seinfeld. <laughs> While we're talking about Giants uh, sort of fancy novels, the new Brandon Sanderson came out this mm. week, the latest in the Stormlight Archive, The uh, Rhythm of War, uh, which I'm very excited about. I've got the audiobook and it is 57 
hours Is this the long. one that he, he wrote as a novella between books and that <laughs> it all got out of hand? Uh, no, no, no. There is there is a novella actually which came out this week as well, oh, okay. uh, which he's released. As, uh, he's insanely but, uh, productive that day. He's the most prolific author, I think, on the planet. It's just it's insane. deranged. Yeah, he's, mm. yeah. How many, what, what does he do? How many books a year does he write? I don't know exactly, but this this one here is, I mean, it's not like one of those little books. It's a monstrous book and he's just sort of knocked it out and done, and since he did The Last Stormlight, he's done a bunch of other books as well. Mm. Like he has loads of these things on the go at any given time. Yeah. Um, whereas you look at someone like Pat Rothfuss who has not written uh, oh, a killer book in a decade. It's very so, upsetting. Yeah. Not okay with it. All right. Welcome to the Empire Film Podcast, everybody. <laughs> We're holding James just wang on about fantasy books. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it just made me think, you know, because Helen's going to be sad. But yeah, well, James slightly misinterpreted the question, as is his wont. Uh, and what I meant was, what was the last show that you watched as it happened and you went into the last episode knowing it was going to be the last episode? Counterpart doesn't count. Also, yes, I don't know that even that. the people who made Counterpart would be as, as effusive in their praise as, as you were. But that's, that's cool. Funny that's enough, cool. I was tweeting about it the other night and Justin Marks, the creator, went, it's fine. He goes, we probably have fucked it up if we carried on. It's probably good that we just took a bad walk away. Like, he seems really ambivalent. And I'm like, I'm like this show's cancellation has ruined me. And he's like, eh. That's amazing. I think I think J. Michael Straczynski's still crossover Babylon 5. So, you know, Babylon at least 5 is a big pile of shit. Don't even Get start out. with me. Get Thank out. You. There we go. <laughs> of course it's not. Of course it's not. It's a no. genius. Crusade, on the other hand, Helen. Crusade. I've never watched Crusade. You've never watched Crusade no. with Galen the Techno Mage, the uh, no short-lived Babylon 5 spin-off show. Wow, oh I'm okay God. without it. So, um, so Beth, yours was Fleabag. <laughs> yeah. Shortly, yes. That yeah. was the one in recent memory, and I, I think there was some real joy in it being released every single week, and that was the last time I had a proper communal viewing experience where I was on about 12 WhatsApp group at once. We were all <laughs> dissecting, you know, the sideward glance that the hot priest did at, you know, 23 seconds in or whatever. And just to know that we were coming into the end of this show that had been really, really important to us. And like I said, she weren't coming back. Why would she come back? Look what the show's like done for her. She's just going to mm. go up and up and up and up and up. And then she just gave that last little look and says, you know, bye. And that's, that's it. And I just, um, yeah, it made me really, really sad. But, oh. you know, she knew, she knew when to say goodbye, literally. <laughs> uh, Helen, what was the last? Uh, it's Supernatural. Because I was thinking about this the other day. I don't watch a lot of shows as they happen, you know, so I came to The Wire after it had already wrapped and, and whatnot. Mm. Uh, but uh, Better Call Saul, I know I'm the only person in, in this virtual room who watches it. You're all morons for not watching it, by the way. <laughs> uh, Better Call Saul will end, not next year probably, but the year after. Mm. And then I'm going to be bereft. Destroy you. Yeah. Mm. And what's going to happen? Who's going to do Oh, but, no. But no. same with that last episode of Breaking Bad. Didn't we all saw it together? Didn't yeah, we? Didn't I think we get so. a screening of it? And it's like at the end of that, I felt bereft. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. It's a yeah. good last episode. I revisit that episode quite a bit, actually. I go back uh, every mm. now and again. The one I've never been able to bring myself to revisit, I promise you this is a film podcast, but the one I've never <laughs> been able to revisit is. Ozymandias, the one that's directed by Ryan Johnson. I don't want to give away How too much. That's literally the best episode of the show. I can't revisit it. Too much, too much bad shit oh, goes down in that episode for me to revisit so it. so good. Whereas, that was Ryan Johnson just setting the yeah. world on fire. Yeah, Whereas really the, the finale is, you know... More bearable, actually. Yeah, yeah it is more bearable. There's an element of triumphalism yeah. to it. It's funny you say that. I know what you mean. Ozymandias is a difficult watch because it's just everything. You don't want any of it to happen the way it happens but it's very, very good. Indeed. Mm. 
Indeed. But uh, it's good. I've enjoyed this uh, offshoot to the Pilot TV <laughs> yes, podcast. Yes, I don't know what the hell's happened. <laughs> it's like anyway, a trailer for the next episode. <laughs> let's let's talk about movies now. Uh, and that's, uh, God almighty, let's talk about the, let's introduce the three fact structure. So here we are. We got three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Here they are. And each of them, I know for a fact, has prepared a fact. <laughs> so the three fact structure, they each bring in an arcane, obscure and unusual movie fact and try and impress me with it. And I give a point to the person who impresses me most. I thought we weren't doing points anymore. I don't give. I, don't, I give a point in my head. I give a point in my head. So there's, okay. there's a winner. I, I need declare, validation. I declare a winner. Give me your points. I declare a winner, right? Okay. 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 Jimbo, let's start with you. Oh, are you sure? Mm. Do we? Do we? Do you want the podcast to end this way? <laughs> well, this is a lion-themed podcast this week, as shall become apparent when we get to the reviews section. Uh, so I've decided to go with a leonine fact. Okay. for you this week. Uh, and that is, of course, as you all know, Leo the Lion is the mascot for MGM Studios uh, and has been on their logo since 1916. But did you know, he's dead. since 1916, um, yeah, obviously, because the lion's not <laughs> immortal, dead. but um, he's really dead. Right, that's lion. the end of my fact. Did you know that lion is dead? It lived to nearly 100 and died. Just a lion skeleton. That's right. Oh no. Since 1916, there have been seven different lions used for the MGM logo, although MGM has referred to all the lions as Leo the Lion. Only one of them's name has actually been Leo. The others were, in order, Slats, Jackie, Telly, Coffee, Tanner, and George. Now, Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch. Yes. Hugh, Pew, Barney McGrew. Yes. Cuthbert, Dibble, Grub. And... Uh, Leo, of course, is the most famous. Now, you're like this. You're like this. Leo's Irish. He was born in Dublin Zoo. You this is absolutely you true. Tell. Leo you can tell. That's right. He's got he's a, a slight zoo. lilt to his roar. <laughs> you listen really carefully. Um, yes, but he's, he's, he, had a, he had a slightly storied career, Leo. He's dead now. But he did a number of different things. But there were two versions of this logo used. There was an extended version, which was between 1957 and 1960, where he roared three times and then they were like you know all right calm down leo shut the fuck up god god can't shut him up so they, now it's just two roars for the sort of traditional one we've got dump however 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 in in <laughs> in ben-hur they use a still frame version of leo without the roar because william wyler thought that uh, it would feel out of place with the kind of nativity intro to the film he thought it would be distracting so hmm. there is no roar at the beginning of ben-hur and that won 11 Oscars, so, you know. Yeah, exactly. Who's roaring so what we're now, saying is Leo. if you want Oscars, don't have Leo wow. roaring. Did Leo only date female lions who were 20 years younger than him? <laughs> hey. Tiny little lion cubs. <laughs> yes, they aged out very quickly. <laughs> what is the... Um, there's a film that starts with the MGM lion meowing, isn't there? Oh, wow. Oh, oh that there? rings a bell, actually. That does ring a bell. That does ring a bell. I can't think what it is, though. <laughs> I'm just thinking of 20th Century Fox for the Simpsons film, and it's Ralph singing the... If we're going off on wild takes on the, uh, <laughs> on the studio oh, tapes. That's a, that's a winner for me. <laughs> imagine imagine the Leo the Lion, but with Ralph. That'd be... Oh. <laughs> Be my heartbreaking. Cat, my <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really heartbreaking. Uh, Beth. Yes. It is time for you to dazzle us and wow us with a fact. I have to say, James has raised the bar for once pretty high. Oh, for God's sake. All right. Well, <laughs> continuing with Majestic Beasts of the Wild or Birds of the Wild. Oh. Uh, I was um, reading up on Wes Anderson films for reasons that will also become clear later. 
I was reading about the real Tenenbaums and mm. learned. Oh, okay, if Hannah knows this already, that's great. No. Um, there's a there's a hawk in the in the film called Mordecai, and Mordecai <laughs> got kidnapped while the film was being made, and they never found him again. He got kidnapped and held for ransom by some residents in New Jersey, and they never found him again. And they had to bring in another oh. hawk to play a Mordecai. Was he eaten a, by a, Leo? Like, well, the replacement <laughs> was eaten by Leah, but he was kidnapped, held ransom. So they tried to like get money off the film production for this hawk, and then they whacked him. Well, they just never found. They never found the people they kidnapped him. They never found the hawk again. They had to bring in another hawk to replace him, and it's even addressed in the screenplay. So the other hawk had more white feathers because it was a different hawk, and they sort of said he'd been through like trauma, and because of that, he had more white feathers. But yeah, got oh my god, and never found again. He was Hawk the Slade. He was, yeah. Oh no, that's, I that's a really depressing fact. They nicked a hawk, <laughs> whacked it, and buried the body somewhere in the woods. Oh my never god, never found it. It's also coming into play while I'm watching The Sopranos, which is really funny. I'm just imagining like yeah. them showing up with this like stolen hawk and trying to <laughs> trying to get ransom from this film crew, and then whacking. This 100 percent feels like yeah. one of Christopher's plans. <laughs> I was gonna say. Maybe it's like the Pine Barrens episode. Maybe they took the hawk out of the woods to whack it, yeah. and they just got, it, got away. From it. <laughs> oh my god! So yeah, I promise you, this is a film podcast. Uh, <laughs> Helen, Hello. do you have a film fact for us? That was a great fact, Beth. Film-related fact. I'm not sure it can compare to either of the other two because it doesn't really have any animals in it. Spoiler. I was going to talk about Don Steele. Um, do you guys know Don Steele? I know probably Don do. Steele, yes. Of course you do. You'll probably know this story, Chris, but I don't care. I thought I'd share it anyway. Don Steele was, of course, um, the second woman to head uh, to be head of production at a major studio. So she was head of production at Paramount um, in 1985. She followed, of course, Sherry Lansing at 20th Century Fox um, by a few years. So um, she was responsible for Flashdance. She worked on Top Gun, Fatal Attraction, The Accused. She was doing, you would have thought, really, really well. Um, but not, it turned out well enough because Paramount Pictures fired her as head no! of production. The sons of bitches. But they did so while she was in labor. Are you joking? Did you know me? this? Yep. She was in labor with her daughter. And that's when they convened the board and fired her as head of production, literally while she was in labor. Uh, and, did yeah. they tell her when she was in labor? I don't know if they, they got the meeting together while she was in labor. I don't know when they communicated the news, but I believe Quick. she got it while she was still in hospital. The broad yeah. is at the building. It's time to do a power play. Is that well, what they were doing? Essentially, yes, mess. because Dawn Steele was like, she took no prisoners. Like she was known to be like the toughest, ballsiest, baddest woman in the room. She mm. made her, I think Sherry Lansing had come up by being the sort of ladylike lady and, you know, sort of won people over that way. Dawn Steele mm -hmm. went completely the other way was very much one of the lads and that's how she powered through hollywood at the time and um and so that yeah they probably were scared of her yeah that was basically <laughs> if you uh, can have it. a name like don Steele and not be a badass i know right like yeah. it's just was, the birth right <laughs> she was a total she was a total badass she'd actually come up um she was um uh she'd come up after she founded a merchandising company that pr um produced novelty items including gucci branded 
toilet roll with no <laughs> input from Gucci whatsoever. So she got sued by them, but too late. She'd made a fortune and everything worked out well. And yeah, she'd worked on Playboy. She'd made a huge uh, imp- impact with them and then worked for Paramount. Anyway, happy ending. Um, she uh, then got hired by Columbia and became the president of the studio. And that was the first female studio head ever. Um, and that oh was almost God. immediate. That was in 1987. Mm. And her daughter, of course, was Rebecca Roven. Her husband was Charles Roven and is now a producer in her own right. So, Did you know that there is a 1987 uh, sci-fi fantasy action adventure called Steel Dawn? Yes, I did, indeed. Yeah. It's Patrick mm. Swayze, isn't it? It is Patrick Swayze. Yeah. It is. It is. Oh, I'm directed it. by Lance Hool. Huh. There you go. So, I think on reflection... I have won this week's three fact structure <laughs> with that late, <laughs> late surge past the finishing post. Um, oh God, these were really good facts this week. I have to say, um, I wonder. I wonder. I wonder. I Wendy. I wonder. I Wendy. I wonder. I think, regrettably, sadly, oh, James no. is the best fact yes. this week. <laughs> oh, l- l- can't go wrong. It's the king of the jungle. King of the jungle. <laughs> Yes, indeed. So James wins this week's three-fact structure. There will be a parade in his honour uh, through the streets of London uh, hawks and when it is convenient and safe. <laughs> Do you know in, in Belfast they used to walk the elephant from the zoo? I'm, well, what, what is, that a, is that a weird sort of idiomatic euphemism? I don't <laughs> Not understand. a euphemism. When my, when my dad was little, um, they would sometimes see an elephant walking past their house, and that was because they used wow. to take, I'm not kidding, take With the elephant out for a presumably a marching band behind and flutes and sashes presumably, and all sorts yeah, of yeah. stuff. Walking it to the zoo, like, was it commuting? Like, where did it live? <laughs> no, like, it, it, it lived, like, it lived in the zoo, but they would take it out for proper walks. Oh, right, I don't know okay. What to just, tell you. Just yeah. <laughs> I mean... I don't know what they took it out of. My dad was non-specific, being he was tiny at the time. Do elephants um, like do the same thing as dogs, where they take a crap and then they just stand back and look at you expectantly, <laughs> and but it's several tons of elephant That's shit in the middle of Belfast. <laughs> I mean, we're talking like Fort William. We're talking like quite nice roads in Belfast and all. So uh, okay. yeah, I don't know. Blimey. All right. Well, too late, Helen. You've lost you've lost Sorry. this week. You know, you can't just, you can't just, 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 just bust out supplemental facts. I'm just it's oh. not even a film fact. I'm just sharing fun fun Isn't information. It? Sounds like an Operation Dumbo drop spin off to me. But anyway, <laughs> uh, that is it for this week's three fact structure. Now it is time to rush headlong into this week's listener question, which, uh, but before we do, I have to say that last week we talked, and it wasn't a listener question per se, but we talked about uh, the worst Irish accents on film. And uh, someone asked us, I can't remember, I think, was it, a, I can't remember anybody, but who, who was on last week's show? Who was on the, Ben? Was it, no, I'm on, Ben. <laughs> anyway, someone, someone asked, were the people who star in normal people? Mm-hmm. Ordinary normal people? That, that normal show. Normal people, normal people. Yes. Were yes. they Irish? Because their and accents we both are really good. So. And we both went, yes, Yay. absolutely they're Irish. <laughs> I've never seen it. I've no idea. I I <laughs> I knew nothing about it and I went straight in with a with a, a yes. And of course it turns out that what's her name? Daisy Edgar Jones. It turns out that Daisy yeah. Edgar Jones is not Irish. And then loads of other people sent in suggestions for because we were going, is there a really good Irish accent by someone who doesn't, who isn't Irish. And yes, of course, loads of you sent in uh, great suggestions. Helen, you must have a couple that, that people sent in to you uh, last week. 
Yeah, definitely do. Don't remember what they were, but they definitely no, nor they do definitely I, existed. But they were good ones. They were very, <laughs> they were very good really ones. Good and ones. Uh, they were really, really good. I should have compiled uh, them. People said Judy Dench, for example, in Philomena. That was a good Irish accent. I mean, yeah, that was she's, a great she's, I mean, she's obviously. She's good with the old Irish accent, isn't Tom she? Tom Cruise in Far and Away. That was pretty Tom authentic. Tom Cruise in Far and Away. That was another <laughs> one. That was a good one. Yeah. Well, that was, um, that was pretty I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis technically was born in Ireland, right? So Yes, we discussed yeah, him last so week. We, 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 did, yeah, we, yeah, we, we discounted did. him because of uh, you know, he had because home advantage, so to speak. Same, same with um, Sam Neill whenever he gets it right. So. Yes, yeah. Although, yeah, yeah. He, he only lived in, Nor- in Northern Ireland until he was uh, a wee nipper. Mm. So I don't know if it comes as naturally to him as as, uh, as others. Uh, but there were others. There was Cosmo Jarvis in Calm With Horses, which mm. is on Netflix right now, is an astonishing, very Fantastic. thick West of mm. Ireland accent as a very difficult one to pull off uh, and he is tremendous and when you hear his real speaking voice it's like oh wow mm-hmm. so there are loads there are actually loads and uh, I don't know if any of you watch uh, Sons of Anarchy but there's a series of that set in Ireland and uh, are you going to mention Titus Welliver and Titus Welliver and Good Lord. His, his voice in this case is his passport except uh, not his face <laughs> not his, his voice is his passport but it's not an Irish passport I don't know where it comes from <laughs> it is it's it's quite extraordinary as Jimmy yes, O'Fallon really. Someone, someone sent me a clip of that after we discussed this last week, and my God, uh, that is quite something. It's like that bit. Do you remember that episode of I think it was Alias, where they um, they come to visit Cork, and there's a sort of you know a standard kind of holding image which they caption Cork. <laughs> is it the Tato guy <laughs> to from let the airport? You know, to let you know that they're in Cork, but it's I swear to God, it's a fishing village, and I, it doesn't even look like an Irish one. I'm I'm so offended on behalf of Cork. So I'd like to apologise to Cork on behalf of the TV show Alias from about 15 years ago. 20? I don't know. Oh yeah, here's a good one. Uh, so uh, the real at Landay wrote in saying the best Irish accent by non-Irish actor is Ben Schnetzer, who is, I believe, a Canadian actor? Uh, he, he's, in Pr- he's in Pride, that film Pride that came out a few years ago. He plays oh, a guy yeah, called yeah. Mark Ashton who grew up in County Andrew. And I remember watching it at the time and going, oh, wow, this this guy that they've got from Northern Ireland is really, really good. And uh, and uh, then I did a bit of research afterwards and lo and behold, yes, he is putting it on. Lies. It's wow. just lies. That's all acting is, really. It's just a bunch of fucking lies. Uh, <laughs> someone sent Jason Isaacs in Divorcing Jack. Yeah, I think we even discussed this yep, with him when he was yep. on the show. Uh, but last week was an impromptu discussion, so uh, and in the West our Wing. minds went blank. He does not in the West, Wing, West Wing, That's right, yeah. This week's question comes from Instagram, of all places. What? So what? I discovered recently that oh. you can get messages on Instagram. <laughs> uh, and people have been sending me messages <laughs> on Instagram, it turns out, for a long, long time. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> so if I didn't respond to you on Instagram, I wasn't being rude. Now I'm being rude. But um, but beforehand, I was just being <laughs> ignorant. Uh, but this one comes from Lauren Fenlon, who is from Australia, I believe. And uh, she asks, quite simply, the best haircut slash haircut slash shaving scenes in the movies. So the best scenes in which someone gets a haircut or shaves bits of themselves. Mm. Immediately coming to mind are um, obviously the, the shaving scene that's actually off screen at the beginning of Avengers Endgame, which is the most upsetting one probably of the lot. That's the worst. Uh, oh, it's so upsetting. Uh, v for Vendetta. Um, pretty Ooh, pretty yeah. intense and quite worry, uh, quite upsetting shaving scenes. Then a lot of um, people entering the military scenes, mm. like G.I. Oh. Jane yeah, and yeah, yeah. Full Metal Jacket is a big one. Um it's yeah. It tends to be one of those rites of passage that 
that all of those films seem to feature at some point. Alien 3 is one that always sticks with me. Mm. When uh, Scunny Weaver shows ahead in the little room with Charles Dance. Uh, that's good. Uh, Thor Ragnarok, of course. The classic yes, of course, Stan yes. Lee. Yeah. I want my hair. If I had hair, I'd want it cut by him like that, uh, <laughs> which would be fine. <laughs> and also, one of my favorites is Pitch Black. That, you know, it's not a shiv, oh, yeah. it's a personal grooming appliance. Grooming as he's using that sort of blade and like motor oil to shave his head. It's quite so cool, love it. I think uh, if anyone out there hasn't heard our Pitch Black spoiler special, you can get more of me and James just yes. waxing lyrical about that scene and basically every other scene in the film. Yep, yep, yep. Speaking of head shavings, uh, Helen, there's a point in Empire Records where Robin Tunney shaves her head after the film for absolutely oh, yeah. no reason, as I recall, which is a slightly odd one. Improv. <laughs> no, no. I don't think it was just like, she was like, fuck it, let's make this scene more interesting. I really hope they shot chronologically, otherwise they shoot <laughs> a little bit. God, can you imagine? Oh my God. I'm also particularly fond of the coming to America, not just the barbershop scenes, but in particular when Akeem goes in and he just, and, and Eddie Murphy looks at Eddie Murphy's head and then cuts off his little ponytail and goes, that'll be $8. <laughs> his prince's lock, cuts off his prince's lock. That's right. <laughs> any more for any more? Beth, do you have any? Luke Wilson in Royal Tenenbaums, which is a very sad, mm. it's just a, everything to do with that film is so impossibly sad. It's so good. Um, but, you know, that's that's a really nice um, part. Mulan, obviously, in the animated version. Something I really liked about mm. the, one of the things I liked about the live action is that she gets to keep her hair. That was quite nice. But mm. obviously when you're younger and see that big, like, sword swoop and the hair comes off, mm. that's obviously pretty uh, pretty dramatic. And then I also had... Audrey Hepburn in *Roman Holiday*, which is oh yeah, she gets her mm. hair locked off. Great crop. The bit Great when she up. joins the army and shows her head is extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. And hang on, hang on. If only if we're talking iconic shorter hairdos, then we've got to talk Gwyneth Paltrow in *Sliding Doors* as well, mm. which is oh, yeah. a thing that happened. But you know, she kind of worked it. I have to say, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with *Sliding Doors*. <laughs> Uh, what else was I was thinking? Oh, you know Crocodile Dundee, the bit where, where Mick Dundee is shaving with like a big razor out in the mm -hmm. outback. And then when mm -hmm. the journalist walks in, he quickly hides it and brings out his Bowie knife and starts shaving with that. Instead, so he looks more authentic. Uh, that's a nice scene. That's not a razor. That's a razor. <laughs> Uh, I had a couple written down, but you've you've mm. used most of them, so I'm going to go shaving instead. I'll okay, go shaving. Okay. Uh, so I'm surprised that uh, neither Jimbo or Helen mentioned this, uh, but Mac in Predator, Bill oh Duke, my the God, great Bill Duke, yeah. when he that cuts is, himself with the razor. He cuts himself every single time I watch that. I think, did they do that for real? Did he literally like cut it, himself? Mm. Because we're they're waiting for something to happen. They know that something's out there and it ain't no man and it's in the trees and if yeah. it bleeds, we can kill it. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and they're sitting there and he's shaving because he shaves his head. Although it doesn't look like there's any growth, but he's shaving his head <laughs> and the sweat of the jungle is, is just making his, his scalp glisten. And then oh. they hear something and it's like, oh, it's very quiet. And he's like, oh. And and he gets so tense that he breaks his razor and the, and he seems to break the skin and it seems to be real blood. Mm -hmm. And one day I'd love to talk to Bill Duke in this podcast about all sorts of stuff, but that might be my first question. Did you actually, <laughs> Did you actually <laughs> cut yourself? <laughs> in Predator. Because he snaps it, yeah. He right. really That's does. a great scene. That must have been an influence on the uh, on the pitch black bit. Yes. I mean, it just feels so kind of similar kind of machismo. 
No. Although he's technically shaving his face, not his head when it's snapped. True, true. I just think, think uh, of the rashes. As someone who gets leg rash when she's doing her legs, just think of the rash with the <laughs> heat and the sweat and a big oh. grazer, like a like a shit 20p yeah. bit grazer on your scalp. No, I know. horrible. Well, but on, on, the, on the other hand, they're, pro- they're all clearly like glistening with baby oil at all times. <laughs> that so, is true. They're quite know, lubricated. It's, yeah, like it's, Sam it's and Dean in be... tonight's supernatural oh finale. Sam and Dean wax their chests. They don't, uh, they don't chase. <laughs> tonight's big finale is shaving each other's chests. <laughs> Taking particular care I mean, around the sensitive nipple area. I don't feel like. I mean, you know, you've we've all seen now, like male, like chest hair is like back in fashion. We've all seen, you know. Is it? Oh fuck. Henry Cavill. Oh yeah. Hang on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and grow one. <laughs> uh, are there sexy scenes of people shaving? You know, where there's like you know a couple and they're getting together and they're you near know, a bit sexy and. It's not really shaving, but there's that bit in the born identity where she's dyeing her hair in the bathroom and there's a bit of eye contact when she sort of like has cut her hair and dyed it and then right. that's when they kind of get together in that in that Paris flea bag hotel. Oh flea bag. Oh, yeah. When she looks at the camera and goes, Bye. Excuse me, about to get it on with Matt Damon. Oh there's a hot priest who comes in. Oh my god. Uh, but but there's got to be like I'm thinking I I'm thinking of and I don't know why but it's in my head I know it's a completely wrong movie because it's not even shaving but I'm thinking for example Indy and Marion in mm. Raiders when you know he's wounded and he's she's tending to his wounds and that's really it's you like know, where it doesn't sexy it hurt, yeah. and lovely where it doesn't hurt and you know but yeah. there are films in which like a bloke has been lathered up and huh. then the lady has the 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 Straight razor, which yeah, is the most terrifying thing. I honestly, I just, I've had my face shaved once with a straight razor. It was just, oh my god, so yeah. nerve wracking. Mm. But there's, there's a film I can't think of it, and people are going to write in there and call is, me an yeah, idiot. But there yeah, is a film which oh, that happens. The it's sexy, sexy one. Clearly, you're thinking of Gary Oldman and Keanu Reeves in Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty <laughs> sexy scene. He I licks am. the blade afterwards. Oh that's my god! Yeah. Actually, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's a cracker. Well done, Jimbo. You stumbled into it accidentally. That's a that's a that's a beaut. I also love um, in the Untouchables. Mm, the, the Untouchables yep, yep, yep. opens with uh, Al Capone being shaved, oh, and yeah. the and the guy shaved the, the barber uh, gets nervous, understandably, because Al freaking Capone, and he nicks him. And you can see him going, oh, shit, <laughs> that's it, I'm going to be dead now. But he he just takes a look at the blood and and then he starts making his point and the, you know, the barber's okay. Mm. That bit's Chris, great. are you thinking of Skyfall? It appears to have happened in Skyfall. Skyfall? Oh, yes. Skyfall. It's uh, Naomi Harris, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. She uh, she shaves him. Um, no, what did you Google that. to bring that up? Was it film scene shaving? <laughs> Sexy shaving. Sexy shaving. Sexy shaving. Uh, uh, Cary Grant shaves in North by Northwest oh, as well. That's yes. inherently sexy because it's. Is Cary he Grant shaved doing by it, a crop so. duster, or is it? Uh... No, he's in, he's on a train. Um, Chris, I'm surprised you didn't mention the fugitive. I was just about oh, to. Oh, good one. I was just about to, uh, because there are scenes where we actually feel that people are shaving themselves for real, right? Mm. You know, like like Sigourney Weaver, like Demi Moore mm. in GI Jane, like everybody in Full Metal Jacket. You, you can't fake that, right? Joseph so, yeah. Levitt, doesn't he, in 50-50? Yes. Yes. Yes, indeed. And wasn't there a whole thing about uh, how Brian Cranston would do it as well when he was playing Walter White? Again, I promise you this is a film show, <laughs> but uh, I think we could talk about Breaking Bad for a second. I remember once, so I don't know if you know this, but Stephen Michael Casada, 
who plays Gomi on Breaking Bad, is actually a local kind of celebrity TV celebrity TV pers- uh, personality in Albuquerque. And he had his own kind of cable TV show, chat show mm-hmm. out there. And before one of the seasons, it might have, I don't think it was the last one, but it might have been the penultimate season, he actually had Brian Cranston on the show just before they were about to start filming it. And Brian Cranston had his full head of hair. And they did a big thing where Brian Cranston actually shaved his head off shaved his head off his head, his head came off oh, God. It, was wow. the, it was the end yes those straight rangers man they'll they'll kill you faster than a bullet um but he shaved his hair off live on the show and there was a big studio audience and everyone was you know going yeah brian cranston woohoo shavy oh, wow. shave so that one shavy shave shavy shave yes i too have googled uh shaving <laughs> royal tenenbaums great dictator High Plains Drifter. High Plains Drifter. Ah, yes, you're on the same list I was on. Yeah, I'm on the, yeah. Thank you, Esquire, for doing this list. Uh, North by Northwest. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm sure there, yeah, please do write in if there is a sexy scene, but it's also fraught with like, there's an edge of danger to it. It's, and It's always it's a, too anxious to be sexy for me because you just know it's going to yeah. end with a bits of sticky toilet paper all over your face. Because <laughs> <laughs> do you know that's what's going to happen? No matter how yeah. like demure it looks while Cary Grant's having a go, you know he's going to end up with little bits of napkin all over I his mean, face. It's <laughs> it's it's de-herring, so I I would say that it kind of counts. But watching uh, Steve Carell get waxed in Forty Year Old Virgin <laughs> for real is extraordinary. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes absolutely. I've just realised I've just thought of a good one as well, and um, yeah. I think it's Airplane Two, the sequel. So there's a bloke who goes to the toilet on the on the space shuttle to shave about halfway through the movie and then obviously the the space shuttle starts crash landing and starts buffeting around and throwing people around but he still is committed to the shave oh. and he's still oh, no. he's still doing it and he's cutting himself oh, all over the place it. and he stumbles oh, out of the he stumbles out of the bathroom <laughs> towards the, at the end of the film his face is covered in blood oh. and tissue and plasters all over the place <laughs> oh it's very very funny very it's funny obviously- Amping up the woman doing her makeup in the first film, but in a really gory <laughs> way. <I'm> not, <laughs> in a legal way. God. Yeah. yeah. Gremlins, where I don't know if they get round to the shaving or not. I can't remember, but the Daz contraption where he pulls out, you can pull out a little razor and the shaving cream and the shaving oh, cream yeah. goes all over the place. Yes. And I think he hands it to Billy and, and he has to go and give it a go, even though it's clearly going to, to probably kill, kill him. him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Isn't it the, the shaving buddy? Isn't that what it's called? The is it, is it like the suck and cut from Wayne's World? So. Oh, remember the yeah. suck and cut? Oh my oh, god! I remember thing. that. Yes. Yeah. With Garth going like, "Whoa!" Oh, it's <laughs> exactly so good. <laughs> I don't remember that. But anyway, listen, we we stumbled into some good ones there by by accident. But yeah, the fugitive, the fugitive, as Jimbo said. So Harrison Ford has a, a beard. In the first 20, 30 minutes of that but movie. But she's not in the film but that Sharon much. But Sharon Carter isn't in this movie. And then he shaves it off actually on camera as well. And he, he does that thing where he cuts it down with his scissors yeah. and he has a technique mm. and then he shaves it. Oh, yeah. Dyes his hair. He knows what's yeah. Wrong. Yeah, and Jimbo, as a as as a man who has seen the uh, you know the business end of a, a razor blade, what, what is your what is your technique? What do you do? What is my technique? I try do not you to suck and cut, or I try you... not to cut my own head off while doing it. It's generally the, uh, yes. the way. Uh, <laughs> yes, a wet razor is my preferred method of shaving. All right. Okay, then. That is it for this week's listener question. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, as Lauren Fenlon found to her cost this week, you can get in touch with us. Well, 
I usually say via just Twitter these days, but apparently I can get messages on Instagram as well. So there you go. I'm I'm at CTAH1976 on Instagram because some prick took Chris Hewitt. Uh, but <laughs> I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. So you can reply to any of my tweets. You can wait for me to do a panicked shout out or you can slide into my DMs. Nudity must be kept to a minimum. The person who took your uh, username, he presumably is the worst Chris. <laughs> Shall I see who it is? <laughs> We're now live trolling at Chris Hewitt on Instagram. <laughs> it was probably a delightful person who, you know, donates to sick animals and rescues yeah. poor children Fuck or something. sick animals. Oh my God. He's probably the one who killed the hawk. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> He's Hawk the Slayer. Um, right. Uh, oh, wait. Hang on a second. There doesn't seem to be one. I don't see a Chris Hewitt now. Is it up for grabs? <gasps> go, go, run. Oh, go, give it to go, me. Go, Instagram, <laughs> Instagram. Can, they won't even verify me on Instagram. I can see a Chris dot Hewitt. I'm Chris motherfucking Hewitt. Verify me and give me at Chris Hewitt. You motherfucker. This isn't going to help. Oh my is god! It? Wow, no. that's not going to help you. No, it's not going to help. I've ruined it. Anyway, it Chris Hewitt underscore. He's also private. Oh my god! All these Chris Hewitts are private. Yeah, we. Oh my god! I bet they are. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, it's part of the Chris Hewitt creed. Uh, this is the way. Anyway, anyway the this Chris is Hewitt, the, then. Yeah, I, I am the worst Chris Hewitt. Uh, anyway, that is it for this week's listener question. It is time now for this week's guest. Very, very excited about this week's guest. It is MJ Bassett, who is the co-writer and director of this week's movie Rogue, in which Megan Fox plays a badass mercenary called O'Hara. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Samantha O'Hara. She's in Africa with her squad and they get stranded. Their pickup doesn't doesn't happen at the right time for reasons and they find themselves stranded in a farmhouse. And uh, and there's some killer lions in the loose as well as a whole bunch of bad people who want to shoot them dead. So fraught with tension, as you might expect. Uh, and this is MJ's return to the big screen as a director after a few years away on the small screen directing episodes uh, and show running the last few seasons, in fact, of Strike Back, uh, mm. but also directing episodes of things like Ash versus Evil Dead along the way. Uh, previously on the big screen, she directed the likes of Death Watch and Solomon Kane. And, uh, and MJ and I go back a few years, in fact, as we talk about in this interview, one of my very first set visits on Empire was on Death Watch, her first movie as a director. We had a, a fun catch up, shall we say. Do please enjoy MJ Bassett. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast in lockdown, of course, by the writer and director of Rogue, MJ Bassett. How the devil are you? The devil is fine and I'm well too. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. We were just saying it's been a long time since we chatted face to face. It's been a really long time because I think I rejected Empire entirely out of my line. I think you did, didn't you? When you didn't like any of my movies. <laughs> <laughs> and now, and now, I'm, now I'm grown up and I don't care. <laughs> Fuck it, let's get out of the way right now. Uh, so, completely. <laughs> let's, so what happened was, one of my very first set visits was on MJ's first film, Death Watch. And it was, I have to say... It was a great experience. It was wonderful for me. I was only there for one night in Prague. It was the coldest I think I've ever been. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty chilly. Yeah, and uh, we got the chatting, and you were so excited that Empire was on set. I was excited because I was, you know, wet behind the ears, greenhorn reporter. Uh, and then 
about a year and a half later, the film comes out. I got a very indifferent review. I didn't review the film. The film was not reviewed well in Empire. I have to, I, let's hold our hands up. And I understand, MJ, you burned your Empire collection in, no, in no, retaliation. No, no, no. Is this I, true? I, I, lo- I love how these stories. No, no. I sold my Empire. I've collected it since the very first issue with, I think, Bat- Batman on the front cover. Um, issue two. My first two. issue as well. What, what was issue one then? What the hell? Oh, was it Sean Young on the front of the cover of the first one? No, issue one was Great Balls of Fire, Dennis Quaid and Monona Ryder, Dennis, because that was that, a surefire you know, box office hit. Oh, yeah, right. We all know that <laughs> shit now, don't we? Um, yeah, so then I had, I collected every single one. I was so proud. I was so thrilled to have Empire. You know, when you meet you come along, you're a young Empire journalist. And you haven't mm-hmm. changed very much, by the way. I have to say you preserved whatever you had going on here very nicely. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Might be an insult, actually. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and I, and I, in a fit of pique, I thought, "Fuck you! I'm not, I'm not collecting this anymore." And I realised now it was childish and ridiculous. But I went, I went to Total Film, and then and they didn't like my movie either, so they could also fuck off. Um, <laughs> I think we, we liked Solomon Kane, though, didn't we? I was, I was on set of Solomon Kane as well. Yeah, because Solomon Kane's a good movie. So if you didn't like it's Solomon Kane, then go fuck yeah. yourself, right? Um, <laughs> what a combat of stars! I can to get be it all off myself to... now. I can get it all off my. It's the new me, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm no longer, you know, victim of like caring. Yeah, <laughs> like, precisely. I'm old. You've, def- you've divorced yourself from from little things like you know caring what people think, uh, but at the wrong time, I would say, because Rogue is a lot of fun and getting really good notices. So are yeah, you? <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, this is this is without a word of a lie. I've never read a review of Rogue, so I don't know what people are saying about it because I just assume it's always going to be horrible now. So I just. You know, I, I insulate myself from the world, and also I, I realize that the, the, you know, I can't control it. As a, as a first, as a young filmmaker, you think you control every aspect of the film of the process. All I can control is how I make the movie. You know, yeah. I don't control how it's distributed. I don't care how it, I don't care. I don't control how it's seen, and I cannot control how people respond to it. Um, mm. Somebody else, I've just been doing interviews all morning, and somebody said, "Oh, the reviews are great." It's like I, I have no idea, you know. Because I get, I get people, people, um, Instagramming go, your movies are shit. Why are you making a, why are you filmmaking? It's like, oh, we're okay. Oh, fuck. You, you get that on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, man. I got, somebody went through, um, like every one of my Instagram posts. This is like just a couple of weeks ago and put, you are the worst filmmaker ever. Silent Hill is shit. You should be ashamed. I, and every single, I liked it like 500 posts, every single picture. There was like, there's a comment. And I was like, "How? Why do you care so much? Like, I I know it's not a great movie. I wish I'd done better, but move on." Uh, first of all, I didn't intend for you to see that. That was a private message. It's <laughs> <laughs> a global message. Don't do that, honey. Uh, second of all, how, yeah, you have you have as you say, you've moved on. You've you've changed, and I I, I guess sticks and stones don't break your bones anymore. But no, you know. No. If I saw something like that, it, I would honestly that would live for me for days. It don't no, and it still does. It's still it, yeah. honestly the weird the weird thing is, and this is why, you know, I'm 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 not I'm I'm not a fragile flower anymore. But I obviously do have feelings. But and and mm. doesn't matter how many good reviews you have. This goes back to the Death Watch thing, right? It's like Death Watch mm. is actually quite a liked film, and it's actually had legs and and still and is more respected than it used to be. The the Empire review hurt more than anything else because that mattered to me and all the mm. good ones that came afterwards didn't ever make up for how bad i felt yeah and that's just an ego thing and that's a human ego thing so now you realize it's not helpful if somebody says you know I have plenty, there are a few people who say solomon kane is my favorite movie ever made it's wonderful mm. the best mm. film 
And it's not. It's a good movie. I'm really proud of it. It's not the best film. It's not the worst film. Most films are somewhere in between. And you go, okay, I do what I can. And it's the experience of making them from literally now going and making a movie, being on set, working with cameras, working with actors, being in tough environments, telling stories. That's what I live for now. That's, that's what I like to do. Hmm. Make, make the movie. Can't control anything else. Well, we were off mic just before we started this, just before I pressed record. And you were saying about how in lockdown you had found yourself in in Cardiff and then you decided yeah. and I love this this phrase which is why I wanted to bring it up and you said then you said you know what I'm just going to go make a movie so you went to Kenya and you have just finished making a movie I and and there's something about that I think all the way through your career from Death Watch on and even even when you spent all those years working on in TV and the likes of mm-hmm. Strike Back and Ash vs Evil Dead and whatnot I think there's a great drive to you I think there's 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 a a willingness to make things happen the idea of just getting up one day and going I'm going to make a movie it's not as easy as that obviously MJ it's but not. what what exactly happened let's talk through the movie you've just made in Kenya okay. how did that come about and then we'll, we'll we'll talk about Rogue as well okay so Rogue came about um Rogue, Rogue came about because a producer friend of mine who I've known for a long time, she said, hey, would you be interested in executive producing some really low budget movies that have a kind of eco message? She knew that I was passionate about conservation, had worked in that world and knew lots about natural history. It's kind of my background. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to EP them and we'll find some young filmmakers to just kind of give no money to and we'll make something? I said, no, I'd like to make those. I said, there's no money. I said, I don't really <laughs> care about the money. Um, I've made an okay living. I'm not rich, but I, you know, I, I can always go and do TV if I need to pay my rent, right? Yeah. I thought this is an opportunity for me to do the things that I want to do, which is eco, eco-responsible films and blow shit up. Bringing those two <laughs> things together. I'm not kidding, right? I like they're, they're both important <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah. And, and I've done lots of blowing up. And in my private life, I'm interested in conservation and to do both. So I wrote... I, I had come up with an idea because I wanted to do something about lion farming in South Africa, which is a little known but fairly horrendous industry. It's, a, mm. it's the legal industry where lions are bred for their uh, body parts, bones, fur, Ugh. internal organs for using in the yeah. um, Southeast Asian traditional medicine market. And also the adult male lions are then taken away to be shot in canned hunting uh, experiences for rich people who want to go and kill a lion for some reason. And the lion cubs are used for the tourist industry. You get to cuddle a lion cub, and then when that's too big, it gets put into the lion farming business and ultimately is killed for what I've just talked about. And I thought, mm. that's horrible. How can I make a movie about that without it really mm. being about it? I thought, okay, well, lions are great. I always love the ghost in the darkness and those kinds of movies. I love African movies. I've shot a lot in Africa. Mm-hmm. So wrote, and also knew that my budget was going to be very small, so it had to be a contained kind of single location movie, but I wanted soldiers. So I kind of reverse engineered all those things. Say, okay, great. It's about a group of soldiers who rescue some girls who take refuge on an old lion farm. There's still a lion. Why is she still there? Bad guys are coming in, led by Adam Deacon, who's a terrific English actor. What can I do with that? And then I, my daughter's a writer, so I talked to her and said, hey, what have we got? We kicked it around a little bit. And that's how Rogue was born. Um, Megan Fox was never part of that equation. The movie was supposed to be very low budget, and it still is very low budget. But mm. it was one of the three that I plan to do. So the next movie, the one I've just shot in Kenya, mm. also has a conservation theme. It's more about a family lost in a, in a national park in Africa, and they kind of arrogant Americans who feel that they, you know, they, they should be able to survive in the face of the reality of the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's we've got um, Rebecca Romain in it, the uh, lady from uh, X Men, yeah, the, the original indeed. Mystique. The original and Mystique, Philip, indeed. Philip Winchester again, his friend of mine, who's always going to be in all my movies because he's wonderful, and <laughs> Izzy's in that movie as well. And then I've got a third one, which I'm going to do in January. So they're always part of a a kind of planned trilogy. They're not connected narratively, but they're kind of just connected by my my passion. Mm. Um, and but with Rogue is, I guess, is the closest because it's. I mean, I'm writing, producing, and directing them, so it's everything. Um, it's all me. If you like it, it's because of me. If you hate it, it's because of me. I mean, you really can send me Instagram messages saying that the movie sucks because of you, because it is because of me that it sucks mm. if you don't like it. But also, some ni- nice ones would be good too. Following you on social media, as I have for a number of years, one of the great joys is watching you play with a new drone and you will <laughs> do drone shots and you'll have the close up on your face and then the camera will slowly pull it out. Yes. And there's a bit of that in Rogue. There's, there's quite a few shots. And I, I thought MJ did that. MJ yeah, took that shot. I'm not allowed to actually fly the drone. This is what's so frustrating. I'm not a bad drone pilot, but I'm not allowed to fly them on set. I can fly my little private drones when we're location scouting. But mm-hmm. the moment then you have expensive actors, then it has to be like a proper. It's true. You have to have a proper drone pilot. And, yeah. and I'm watching them. And, and with greatest respect to a lot of the drone pilots I've worked with, I'm a better pilot than some of them. And it's like, no, 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 no. I would do it differently. I would. But yeah, I, I love a drone. As, as a, and then just seriously for a second, as a, as a tool for filmmaking, they have completely changed the game for me. The movie I just did in Kenya is a really, really low budget movie because it was mm. the one that we just kind of flung together at the last second just to go and make a film. Um, and the drone was my principal tool for giving me epic landscape, just scale. They, they're mm. incredible for scale. When I first started filmmaking, you had to hire a helicopter. You really did. You know, and that was a beast mm. and a piece of work. And, yeah. you know, I think didn't Ethan Hawke make a movie entirely on a drone? Entirely on a drone. I think he did. I think he did, did an he? experimental experimental movie, which entirely used a drone. I could wow. be wrong. You, you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he did. They're they're cracking things. They really the, the democratization. I think of filmmaking over the last few years has really you know led to a lot of really really exciting talent, like exciting opportunities. Oh, it's, totally, totally, totally. Because what what what's interesting is again when I started off, it was. I recorded, I made my first movies on, on those big VHS camcorders. Yeah. So you had to, and to edit, you had to have basically have two VHS players next to each other wired up and it was press, play, record, play, record, play, record. Yeah. And, and then non-linear filmmaking came along and then iPhones and Androids came along. And you have a film studio in your hand now, you know. Yeah. Did you see the Soderbergh one that he made entirely on an iPhone? Yeah, with Claire Foy. Yeah, tremendous. That's right. It's a yeah. good movie. And then do you see there's another one called Tangerine, which was Tangerine. made. Again, it doesn't matter what the format is anymore. You know, we, obs- we obsess with shooting on 6K and 4K and whatever the hell it's going to be. And Finch has got these obsessions with keep driving the format. Ultimately, I think an audience just want a good story. Yeah, absolutely, and you, and very often you can't even tell the difference these days. I mean, something like like uh, something like uh, the, the sort of birth, something like Tangerine, something like uh, Host, which came out this year and you know was filmed oh, on not, iPhones and webcams. Them. Oh, it's tremendous! Really, really great. You should you know, check it out. Fifty six minutes long, MJ. You can check it out, and you know still have enough time to go about your day. It's really, really nice. But uh, <laughs> it's what we want, right? It's, it's what we want. It's all we want. Um, but this, I, I had, I've had in my life a Megan Fox experience, uh, which was I interviewed her for Empire. I want to say 2009, I went to a place in Los Angeles. We got papped whilst doing the interview and I got identified, misidentified in the 
newspapers the following day as the director of Jonah Hex, which is something I have tried very, very hard to live down in my life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll be Why couldn't you be identified as the director of a good movie? Damn it. <laughs> Precisely. Um, but what was your Megan Fox experience like? It was it was good. It was interesting because again, I was Megan was not somebody I'd ever imagined working with. She just didn't seem to be of my ilk. You know, I mean, mm. I like very physical, very robust filmmaking. I'm not scared to get bruised and get shit. And I would never ask an actor to do anything I wouldn't do myself, jumping out of burning buildings. I'm happy to do all that shit. So mm. I wanted, you know, when I when Rogue, the script was finished, and we we're like, oh, this is actually pretty good. And it does require a good, strong, physically capable leading woman to carry it through. Yeah, we put together a list of tough, tough guy, tough guy actresses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Megan's not on that list. But then somebody said, "Hey, what about Megan Fox?" And I'm oh. like, "No, no, no, no. Megan's not going to be. She's not going to be interesting. There's nothing in her body of work. There's nothing in anything about what I know of her which makes it makes me feel like she's going to want to do this." So, but the perspe- perception of Megan as a essentially a, a a, a toy for for male gaze, right? Yeah, uh, an object that Michael Bay has created. So that 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 lives with her, right? Even I, as a feminist and as a trans woman, is like I'm going, ah, Megan, I don't know. So anyway, they said, <laughs> hey, listen, if you get her in the movie, we'll green light your picture. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, send her the script, you know. And 24 hours later, she said yes, and that was that's unprecedented for a kind of A-list known actor. They no, they normally take forever. So it's like, oh, actually, my initial response was like, oh, God, okay, what do I do with this? And we arranged to meet, and I went to meet her, and she's nothing like the person that you think she's going to be. She's a very mm-hmm. quiet, quite shy, yeah. considered, thoughtful woman. She's, I mean, she's careful with her words. She's careful with what she says because, I mean, I guess talking to a journalist would be even more. But, mm-hmm. as, you know, as a, as a fellow filmmaker talking to an actor, you know, she's like, okay, I, I like this film because I like the character. I like what it's saying. I like the fact that it's like nothing I've ever done before. I mean, she's done a slew of action movies now, <laughs> but Rogue was the kind of first one. Yeah. And she's not got, she had no military experience other than running away from explosions. So, and I needed her to be a badass soldier. So my bigger issue was how do I get Megan to look like a soldier with very little time, with very little prep time? And uh, now I've done lots of shoot 'em up stuff. I know my tactical work really well. I know my weapons handling pretty good. Mm. I know lots of people who are really good at it. Um, so we just started training her and she came ready to play. I mean, she really, I mean, no, she's never been to Africa. So Africa is, South Africa is an interesting place to put somebody for the first time because it's an extraordinary environment to work in. And again, out in the wilderness, in, on a kind of hillside where there's lightning storms every night and there's dust <laughs> happening and then fun, you know, rain. And if you're not prepared for that and you're not getting treated quite like the triple A gold star you know, person that you have been treated as, we go, this is mm. what we're doing. We're working as a group. And, but knowing that she's prepared to come in and do that, it was good. And I, and I, I had a good experience. I mean, she's, you know, she is who she is. And yeah. that's sort of, you have to fight to not have the peace unbalanced because of it as well. Because the rest of the cast, I kind of knew they're all buddies of mine. Phil Winchester, I've worked with for years. Yeah. You know, Brandon Arendt, Susanna Henner and Greg Krieg, all these South African actors. I've, I've put them in stuff over the years. For her to come in and to try and gel with that group of people and not feel other was important. But ultimately, mm. I think it works. I mean, she's, she's pretty good. I mean, considering yeah. I'd, love to have, I'd love to have properly boot camped her and taken her out into the wilderness and done some survival stuff. 
because I just think she's good. I think, and she's focused. She's like a movie star, right? She knows what she, yeah. she knows the business. She knows how she photographs. I want to ask one last question because Go you've on. had lots of experiences in Africa, as you say, in South Africa as well, and you've just been in Kenya. Have you ever had a snake experience? Ever seen any snakes? I'm just as someone who's terrified of snakes. I just need to know. Okay, yes, I have. Um, I was in Botswana, and um, in the middle of the Okavango Delta, came mm-hmm. back to my lodge to the sound of squealing, and didn't know what the squealing was. Turn on the lights, and there is a snake hanging out of the a hole in the wall of my building with a mm-hmm. squirrel in its mouth and it's a black mamba no way yeah it's a black mamba and it drops the squirrel that's fl- it ends up flops around on the ground dying obviously from the toxin and they they gave us these lodges because they're a hippo and stuff around you have to have an air horn to summon help right uh-huh. now i know obviously know lots about natural history and i know a black mamba when i see it and i'm like i'm not fucking with that because that is a very dangerous animal yeah it's hanging out about six foot of the snake is hanging out this hole in the wall and slowly it starts to draw itself back in into the wall and by the time the rangers come i say oh there's a mamba and they go oh no there's no mamba here i'm like oh no that's a black mamba there's no 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 no, not black mamba of all the people you have staying at this lodge i know what the fuck a black mamba looks like right and they're like okay you should probably leave then so i go and sleep in another lodge said what are you going to do about the mamba they went oh we have to pull the walls out to get the snake out of the wall I'm like, oh, okay, that's going to be a big job. Next day, they move somebody else into the lodge. No! <laughs> I'm not going to say who it is or where that was, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, but God rest her soul. God rest, <laughs> God, God rest their soul. The crocodiles fed now. well that night. <laughs> At least they died doing what made them happy, being poisoned <laughs> by a black man. That's my snake experience. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, well, MJ, on that note, uh, it's been an, a pleasure reconnecting. And um, hope, well, let's get your Empire Collection back. Let's, let's, let's do that. Can we, are, are those bridges mended enough to do that? Can we? Yeah, can we, I, might, yeah. I might pick, pick one up on a store in Sunset and see how you guys are doing. <laughs> Thank you very much, Steve. All right, Chris. All right take care. Take care, Bye-bye. Okay, so that was MJ Bassett, and we will be talking about Rogue later in the show. But now it is time to delve deep into the week's movie news, and I think there's only one place to start, and that is with the news that Wonder Woman 1984 will not be entirely bound for cinemas. Broke late last night. Uh, And I have to say, my initial reaction was one of (laughs) near apoplectic rage. I've calmed down since, uh, not least because we're getting ahead of the state (laughs) and and maybe in cinemas. So we're fine. But uh, what do you guys think about this? So it's the news that basically in the States, Wonder Woman 1984 will now open in cinemas on Christmas Day in the States, but will also stream on HBO Max at the same time. Hmm. 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 Look, Beth, we need a home from you. Uh, we've yeah, had a home from everybody. I just mm. it's like we were harmonizing like a barbershop quartet if we all went in with them. Yes, I didn't but get a harum from that guy. That's probably what we what we're going to say on this story. It's just hum. I just I I I. Well, here's the problem. In theory, we're getting it before the States. In theory, we're getting it on the big screen. But both of those things depend huh. on Boris Johnson not being a dickhead. <laughs> And how has well, that then, worked out so far? It hasn't so, worked out well, I'll be honest with you. It yet. hasn't worked out well, and that's my concern. So it's all very well saying it's okay, we'll see it in cinemas, as long as we do, because, you know, right now I'm not sure I'm going to get home for Christmas. I'm not sure that we're going to be in a position where I will would feel, even if technically allowed home, whether I would feel like it was actually safe to do so. And I'm just, I'm annoyed, I'm angry at the, this 
dumbass situation and this stupid ass government and uh and I want to see Wonder Woman on the big screen god damn it so you know I have a lot of feelings right now a lot of feelings that I'm trying to work through <laughs> and I I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be <laughs> I'm trying to be uh supportive of of a studio that I know we're trying to do their best for you know viewers and trying to get it out there and trying to make sure that this film you know doesn't stop, sit on a shelf somewhere wasn't there a story that bond is costing a million dollars a day by not being released i mean i'm sure wow. it's similar for wonder woman How which was that? shot back in i don't know man i just was interest, interest <laughs> on them parking <laughs> he's parked in a double yellow outside outside universal studios <laughs> but like there is, there is, I guess, the interest on the money that it costs to make these films, which in Wonder Woman's case has been invested since 2018 at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, I get it. I just, enough now. I want to see it, please. Thank mm. you. And on the big screen without fear of dying or, you know, infecting other people. Oh. And I mean, an, an ongoing thing that I, I keep saying when life keeps just getting me down, when Netflix cancelled Glow and when they keep pushing back these, you know, or releasing things on VOD when they don't necessarily mm. need to. What what am I going to be doing between now and, you know, July of next year? What am I going to be doing between now and 2022? I'm going to do nothing. I don't mind waiting. Like, I've got nothing else to do. I might as well just sit and wait and then wait for the experience of going to see this on a big screen mm. safely. I have literally nothing else to live for. <laughs> mm. I have nothing else to live for but to, to you know, walk to medical cinema and, and go and enjoy that in the future. That's fine. Um, I'm sure there are massive financial implications and that's obviously what's pushing this into a semi-VOD release. And, and as Helen says, you know, especially as small releases are already being pushed back from December to at least mm. January, I'm sure we will see another nudge back for this. But as someone who just heartily believes in a big screen experience and really doesn't mind mm-hmm. pausing everything else to to make that happen that's fine i just mm-hmm. i i i wish that the, the the bigger companies kind of shared that sentiment as well there's like a pre-existing fan base there there's people that will wait there's an appetite for it already whereas i'm not sure that was necessarily the case with something like mulan this has got a fan base who would gladly you know wait to go out and see this safely mm. Mm. I wonder whether a lot of it is partly they need to make some money now uh, for for shareholders, but also you know next week is an absolute parking lot of films. Next week, next year is a parking mm. lot of films now. Like everything's pushed back, and they're probably thinking, you know, where would we even slot this fucker in at this point? Well, um, I mean, the only thing about that is, like, this is Wonder Woman. It's a big dog. I feel like other things might shift away from it. Maybe you know. Maybe at the moment it's going to open day and date, obviously with Soul which is going to be on Disney Plus on Christmas yeah. Day. Mm. But the, the distinction yeah. obviously between what Disney have done with Seoul and Mulan is that they have not considered cinemas in the equation at, at all, at all yeah. which I'd say is much worse than what Warner Brothers are doing. Uh, at least Warner yeah. Brothers are giving people a chance to go to the cinema should there be a cinema near you that is open. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, to not to bypass cinemas altogether all is, is ridiculous, I think. Wonder Woman in particular, like Soul is a film I would like to see in the cinema, but I, I, you know, I could stomach seeing it on TV, whereas Wonder Woman feels that, you know, watching it on your own, well, not everyone will, but I would be watching it on my own in my front room. I feel that would be a much lesser experience than watching it in a huge cinema with you fuckers. Like that would be much more enjoyable. Mm. Yeah. The posters alone deserve that big screen. Do you know what I mean? This I mean, was a, this was a whole campaign built around yeah. spectacle and like the garish palette of the nineteen eighties. Like those yeah. are those mm-hmm. are the colours for a big, yeah. beautiful screen. 
I want Golden Angel armor in fucking IMAX, like three stories high. Yeah, absolutely. Like Chris Pine in a fanny pack on an IMAX screen. I mean, the fanny pack it's, alone needs to be 12 feet wide. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, I mean, I, I feel like anybody who'd seen 20 minutes of this film would be super, super hyped to see the rest and, and just dying of this delay. But at the same time, you know, very keen to see it on the big screen. I think, I imagine, I don't know. You know. <laughs> well, we're a month away. We're a month away, apparently. But we'll see what happens. We're meant to be out of yeah. lockdown in the UK, uh, well, not the UK, in England, uh, on December 2nd. Ugh. So we shall see what happens. But uh, let's keep an eye on it. Let's keep an eye on what happens. But I, I, I've, got a, I've got a sneaky suspicion that uh, there'll be one weekend which cinemas will be open and everything will open at the same time. Freaky has moved, for example, to, mm. and we say Christmas Day, it's Boxing Day because cinemas don't open here on Christmas Day. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a mess. I, I Let's see what happens is what my two-year-old nephew currently says when he's told to do something, not to do something because it's it's dangerous or bad or impossible. Um, and I kind of feel like the UK government is very much taking the same approach. But let's see what happens. <laughs> let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. <laughs> let's see what happens. Maybe COVID will go away. Maybe COVID really wants to see Wonder Woman 1984 and we'll just... Call a truce. If COVID wanted to see Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, I think it would be a considerably more relatable disease. You mm. know. Yeah, I mean, you know, there is apparently vaccines potentially imminently on the way. Ninety five percent effectiveness rate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, listen, from I'm, Dolly Parton. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> God love it. I'm sure people can make cases for the groups that should be the first to get that. You know, frontline responders, that sort of mm. thing. Sure. I think it should be film critics. Film critics for sure. I think it should be film critics. <laughs> frontline responders and then film critics. Like I'm willing mm -hmm. to let them go first, but, yes. but surely we're frontline responders line, right? and then front row responders. <laughs> that should be what it is. So listen, oh my God. you may mock, you may laugh. But oh, we have spent the last eight months grappling with innumerable, just loads of different streaming services because none of the studios have done joined up thinking about this. They haven't collaborated <laughs> in this. And if you can just put yourselves in our shoes for a second, get out the world's smallest file in. You get links for all sorts of things. You can't remember the passwords for these things. When you do get the password, there's a sort of you know two-stage verification process. You can't remember that either. And then by the time you you know you do get the password, the fucking screen link is expired. When you finally do get the screen link to work, it's you know you can rarely go full screen, and it's sometimes even an SD. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine such a thing? Oh, and your name is em is emblazoned on the screen, sometimes in huge font as well, so it obscures the action as well. No one thinks about the sacrifices. <laughs> we have made over the Where's last few clap? months. Where is our Where is Thursday our clap? You clap. fucking clap for us, you pricks. Get on your front steps right now. 8pm tonight. I want to hear people's banging pots and pans and colanders and ladles. I want everything. I want applause. I want cheering. I want a standing ovation. Fucking do it. And make, give us a vaccine so I can see Wonder Woman 1984 in a cinema as God and Patty Jenkins in that order intended. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I'd, I'd just you. like to apologise to everyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> NHS workers, we love you so much. Oh, God. <laughs> please, please. Please don't cancel us. Yes, the Empire Podcast does not stand behind the thoughts and opinions of Chris Hewitt. <laughs> uh, anything else for anything else? I mean, there probably was some other news, yeah. Well, Helen, Helen, have, you, have, you, um, 
Have you read the Chaos Walking books? The uh, yes. Oh, yeah. oh my god, yes. Uh, they remembered that they'd made those films. Yes. They remembered yes. that they made those I, films. I have not read the books, but I have like they're they're big noise. You know, they're mm. they're properly iconic. And obviously, the much delayed Chaos Walking adaptation by Doug Lyman had its trailer drop this very day. And what did you think? Well, I haven't watched it yet. Well, so probably not a lot then. <laughs> I liked it. I really liked it. It's 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 fancy. Yeah. It's young adult. I mean, it's very me. Um, <laughs> James yeah, movie. This is yeah. This is a, this is a little known thing about James. He's a massive like teenager underneath yeah, the hardened ex- and elderly exterior. The book is absolutely stunning. It's a fantastic, fantastic um, series, and I can't wait for this just on that basis. But I mean, you know, they seem to have the casting right. Uh, I'm sure when I watch the trailer, I'll like it. So. Yeah, I, I, mm. one does worry slightly about two-year releases, uh, release uh, delays. With sometimes. extensive reshoots. With yeah. extensive reshoots, that's not always a good sign. But at the same time, <laughs> it's maybe not the Is worst sign. The first film that could never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, have passed the Bechdel test. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god! Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Takes place in a world without women, apart from Daisy Ridley. Indeed. Apart from Daisy, Cynthia um, Arriva's in there. Mm-hmm. So, but there then who ladies. would they have a conversation about, Beth? <laughs> like, they could dog? get together and chat about the, old, the other women who used to be alive. <laughs> Basically, I remember when all our ancestors and other women died. Yes. There we go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. They can also have a conversation about literally anything that isn't men, and that would also pass yeah. the okay. test. It doesn't have to be all The death of their gender. There we go. That's uh, Alison would be proud. <laughs> Did you see the big game last night? <laughs> that's something I'm, I'm all for this film uh, not least because Tom Holland plays a Hewitt um, I, I imagine he I mean, is verified on Instagram yes Todd I bet Hewitt. he is <laughs> yeah. a better Hewitt wow so we've got another Hewitt and another O'Hara this week this is exciting what wow. sucks to be a dyer or a web yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well we're mentioning Tom Holland and he's Spider-Man and he shoots webs and there we go that's there we go thank you get. Yeah, yeah, and we yeah, talked yeah. about dying hair earlier, so we're pretty much there. Yeah, yeah. And I'm bald, so actually, <laughs> oh it's <my> perfect. <laughs> it is perfect. So yes, anyway, so this is a film that they shot basically, I think, in 2003, and <laughs> it's taken a long time. I genuinely thought that this movie was never going to come out. So when the trailer dropped for today, less, just over a month before it comes out, I mean, that's a good sign, guys. So, <laughs> it, listen, it's Doug Lyman, and Doug Lyman has never made... A bad film? <laughs> a film. It's, well, he's made films. He's made well, this, films. He I made think films. this is actually the sort of long-awaited sequel to Edge of Tomorrow. It's just sort of shoot, cut, repeat. And they've <laughs> hey. uh, just done it that way. There he is. <laughs> there, there he is. He's showing up at last. Okay, here's a question. Has Doug, has Doug Lyman made a bad film? I, I I can't think of one immediately. Let's have a look. No. Yes. Absolutely, uh, he has. <laughs> Let me go to I mean, I'm going to say no. I, mean, I loved you know. um, Go, he made was really, really good. The, good um, yeah. go, jumper weird. isn't maybe... Yeah. Oh, Jumper's that, not great. Jumper no. sucked. Jumper's, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. take back. Doug Lyman's <laughs> jumper was not good. You'd, yeah. if, you, if you got that for Christmas, you'd bring it back with a receipt. The walls uh, are good. Fair game. Fair game was, you know... Uh, 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 but he's made like Edge of Tomorrow is an is an all time banger. Born Identity yeah, is an all time banger. Go is an all time banger. Swingers mm. is an all time banger. I'd say he's and Mr. And Mrs. Smith. I, I think is really mm. really great as well. He's got a very good batting average. So mm, listen, in has. Doug we trust. Yeah, trust yeah. in the lie man. Wait a minute. 
<gasps> You've blown Wait. this thing wide open. I have. It's a conspiracy. It's like the parallax view, but with an idiot at its core. Oh, I'd love to see that. Uh, anyway. Uh, oh, some more news. Mm. Some more news. Uh, so, Taron Edgerton, uh, stop me if you've heard this one before. Taron Edgerton and Matthew Vaughn are going to work together on a movie. I think I've heard that one. Yes. But this one is going to be about how Tetris was invented. Block by block. Oh. block. It's going to be a block by blockbuster. And so, uh, very, very excited about this. It's going to be called Simply Tetris. It's going to be directed by John S. Baird, also a friend of the podcast. It's going to be shooting in Scotland as of this December. Uh, Taron actually had hinted at this on his Instagram, where he is also verified. Uh, but then again, he is make it, make it famous. So I'll yeah. allow that one. Um, but um, yeah, it's about how Tetris was created essentially and uh, is that a story it is a story apparently there is a bonkers story about how tetris it's a russian was created thing or something right russians and he's playing he's playing the dutch video game designer called hank rogers who didn't create the game but he con- he secured the rights for the game's distribution on consoles i'm literally reading this off the internet right now <laughs> i'm sure spoiling there's the whole film <laughs> i'm spoiling the whole film first created by his russian software engineer alexei pachitnov in 1984 Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, blah blah blah. Mm, Baird. Mm-hmm, Fawn. Mm, Marv. You know Scotland. Yeah. Okay. I think you're all up to speed now. Cool. Oh, shit. All right. Yeah. Good That's stuff. Great. Um, can we talk about the really important news though? Is it Michael B. Jordan's the sexiest man alive? I mean, I don't think that's news to literally anyone on the planet, but uh, sure, that, that was that was nice. I mean, actually, the Brett, uh, the, what's, what's his name? Blake Shelton, Farrago the other year. It's, it's good to have you Blake know some Shelton. sanity restored. Blake Shelton was people's sexiest man alive in, in living memory. Not this people's sexiest man alive. Well, quite. Um, anyway, I want to talk about the very important news that Disney mm-hmm. is doing one another one of its ridiculous live action remakes of its already perfect cartoons. But this one, they are turning their attentions to the great, the flawless, the absolutely wonderful Lilo and Stitch, with John M. Chu apparently in final talks to take the director's chair. Um, Lilo and Stitch is the best of the kind of late Silver Age Disney canon. That makes it sound like I'm damning it with faint praise. But like, <laughs> it's, a, it's, this, this. <laughs> it's this weird little, you know, like uh, it, it came out in what, 2000s, at which point the, or maybe 1999. No, it's 2000. 2000. And the, um, at that point, the sort of the, the energy that had powered the Little Mermaid and Aladdin and the Lion King and all those films had kind of died away and they'd been making shit. And then suddenly this weird little film came out of basically nowhere and turned out to be the greatest thing ever. So, you know, I don't know. I'm just saying they better get it right. Otherwise, I'm going to be extremely upset. And and whoever they cast as Lilo has got to be the most weird and wonderful little girl in history. So Mm. good luck. No pressure. But also a lot of pressure. (laughs) I've got my eye on you. They need to cast it quickly as well, because obviously famously, a stitch in time, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, no I, I, I saw where you were going and I, I wish you wouldn't, but... You should lee low for a while. <laughs> hey! <laughs> hey! Hey! The hits keep on coming. Speaking of which, Spike Lee's making a movie about Viagra. Oh my God, the musical about Viagra! Very excited about that. Are there any uh, up-and-coming stars you can, uh, you can share with us? Oh, no. no. Oh, yeah. dear. Can't wait to see that. It's going to be a, a, stiff, a stiff challenge for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah stiff upper lip required for, for that one. Um, uh, there are other jokes here. It's a remake of The Matrix, but only with blue pills. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, he's... 
Spike Lee is going to co-write, co-write it and direct a movie musical about Viagra. Uh, and it's going to be co-written by Kwame Kwai Arma as well. So mm-hmm. that's exciting stuff, isn't it? Good people. Um, should, be, uh, should be a blast, I'm saying. Chris Hewitt, can you explain Scream Fave Scream to me, please? Hmm. In the canon of Scream Fave Scream Halloween and, and such. Because I don't understand what's going on. So this is the news, Beth, that this week uh, they wrapped filming on <laughs> the movie that we had previously assumed was going to be called Scream 5 because, you know, the all the scream. other ones the are called scream, scream the number, yeah. and it's the fifth Scream. Uh, and Kevin Williamson, who I don't know is the writer, but he is a producer, and he wrote the original Screams, obviously, mm-hmm. um, first two at least. And he announced on Twitter this week that they have wrapped, and that the official title of Scream 5, the sequel to Scream, let's just emphasize that, the sequel to Scream will be called Scream. Mm. I mean, there is precedent for this, isn't there? Is there is precedent, but it's a really fucking dumb precedent, <laughs> yeah, and I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. So, so just to just to recap, in case you know you're playing along at home, and I know I've done this on Twitter already, but uh, you know, hey ho, John Carpenter's Halloween, the David Gordon Green sequel to Halloween, is also called Halloween. Mm. The prequel to John Carpenter's The Thing is also called The Thing. This is very, very confusing. And now the fourth sequel to Scream is called, it's got the same title as the first movie, but it is still mm. a sequel. What's going on? Why are they doing this? Why is this a new trend? And how can we make it stop? Mm. Is, it, is it because, there's the, you know, just based on like life and history, the more the numbers go up, the quality goes down? Do you think they're just trying to kind of, or do you think they're trying to rebrand yeah. it for like a younger audience? Like, I don't Makes it more really... accessible for new audiences. Yeah. Mm. I think yeah, but can you call thing, it like, literally people, if, anything else? Yes, yes. Like Scream, colon, Dawn of Justice, you know, whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> Scream, Pig in the Exactly. <laughs> the Scream. Scream, I mean, the Snyder we, Cut. But we know, we know, like, from Fast and Furious, you can just remove the definite articles, and yeah. that would work. Why not just add a definite article here, <laughs> yeah. and boom, the you've Scream. got a good film. They think it's a, like a monk biography. A monk, yeah. <laughs> well, we should get Richard Belcher to star in it. Well, let's clear that up a little bit. It doesn't, it's still stupid, but it makes a little bit more sense now. <laughs> still stupid. It's still pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I've said this on the podcast over the last few weeks as the news of casting and whatnot started coming out about this movie. I'm really, really excited about it. Mm-hmm. And my fears were slightly allayed a little bit by some pictures that Kevin Williamson shared on his Twitter, although we can't trust anything that comes out about this movie. It might all be misinformation and misdirection and whatnot. But my big fear with this movie is that Sydney, Gale and Dewey, who are the heart of the franchise, will be bumped off very, very early on, maybe even the initial kill. Um, but they took a picture, they, he shared a picture of Courtney Cox and, um, mm-hmm. and uh, Nev Campbell on set together. And I just thought, well, maybe they're in it more than we thought. Maybe it is about them. And But, you yeah. know, hey-ho. If, if, if Sydney dies, we riot. If Dewey dies, we riot. If Gale dies, we riot. It doesn't leave you many options for dramatic storytelling, <laughs> but, uh, but hey, you know? nail those seats down, folks. Absolutely. Um, other good, better news, I would say, is that Michael Shannon's joined Bullet Train. Um, 
Michael Shannon joining any film's cast is always a good thing. And uh, and he so he's added, along with Brad Pitt, Zazie Beetz, uh, Joey King, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry, another person who's always a welcome addition to everything, Andrew Koji and Masioka. So, mm. you know, I'm, I'm here for it. It's uh, David Leach obviously directing, so the action will be good. And that's a hell of a cast. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Yes, absolutely. Very, very excited about that. Uh, there's also rumours that... Thor Love and Thunder, which starts shooting soon mm. on the other side of the um, Christmas break, otherwise known as next year. And there are rumours that Chris Pratt's going to be showing up and that Finn Diesel will be back as Groot. And that makes sense that the Guardians will be involved in Thor Love and Thunder, mm. given that that's going to come out before Guardians 3. And that's where we last saw them. They were, they were all together you know, at the end of um, that film, whose name escapes me. Some other interesting news, Stephen Cable Jr., who directed Creed 2, excellently, I thought, uh, is going to direct the next Transformers movie, which mm. I had not, I did not know that until I was uh, just scrolling idly here. And I was like, what? That's okay. You have my curiosity. Now you have my attention. Okay. And it's going to continue the story established in Bumblebee, apparently. So oh, I don't that's know a better it's be. option yeah, than continuing absolutely. the story established in The Last Night. So. <laughs> I mean, can anyone continue the story established in The Last Night? <laughs> Was a story established in The Last sh- Night? <laughs> I don't know. A shiny penny for anybody who can tell me the story of The Last Night. Uh, you may struggle. Lynn Ramsey is going to direct The Girl Who Loved mm. Tom Gordon, which is one of the few yes. Stephen King uh, books that has not been adapted for the big screen. And uh, yeah. We're, we're very excited yeah, about that, very, I'm guessing. Very good. Very, mm. very, very good news. Yeah. Yep. And Quentin Tarantino's writing books. And Quentin Tarantino's writing books. Yes, he he's writing a mass market paperback adaptation of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So he's doing the All official right. tie in novel, you know, <laughs> belatedly. Well, about time, too. I, I would have expected that on shelves literally a year and a half ago. So You would think, you know. wouldn't you? But, you know, apparently it will be a departure from the film. Yeah, and he's he's working on another book as well called Cinema Speculation. Yeah, it's like his coffee table book, Pauline Kael yeah. esque sort of movies of the seventies thing. Think, things he thinks about films. Mm, exactly, mm. and like so, you can imagine that once upon a time in Hollywood, the paperback will be like six ninety nine, and the Cinema Speculation will be like a hundred and forty dollars. It might just be like a talking about movies book. It oh yeah, have to have it's, it's going to be some lavish, great whopping thing that costs more than a small car. He said with okay. no evidence to back that up. No, none whatsoever. There's nothing in the press release to indicate that, but yeah, you know. I've decided okay. that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, things are happening. Things Some are of the happening. world is not locked down. That's good. Mm. People are talking and meeting over Zoom and planning things. Okay, so that was the movie news. Now it is time to talk about the movies that are out this week, not in multiplexes, but on your sofa plex. And uh, I guess we're going to review the new Steve McQueen movie. Every week for the next four weeks. <laughs> so last week, uh, as to kick off his series of small acts movies, so he's made five movies for the BBC, and they are films. So these things are like two hours long. They're going to out every Sunday night on BBC. Started last week with Mangrove. This week continues with Lover's Rock. Next week is Red, White and Blue with John Boyega. And then there's two more to come after that. So small screen, yes but also Steve McQueen, also films. So mm. we're going to talk about them. And we're going to start this week, Beth, by talking about Lover's Rock. Yes. So this is the only of the anthology that's not based uh, in a real story. Um, 
I'm sure you gave some context to the anthology, but if you're just listening this week, it's five films that are committed to telling the stories of the West Indies community in London between the 1960s and the 1980s. Um, so it centres on a house party, and that's basically it. That's yeah. the whole premise for the film. It's the setting up, it's the execution, and and a little bit in the shadow of this house party that takes place over the course of an evening but where it's light on narrative my god it makes mm. up for it in the um development of the people that take hold of this night and see it as this really electric amazing exciting experience um there's a series of kind of very light very little interpersonal stories that take mm. place it loosely focuses on a on a woman called martha who's played by amara J. St. Auburn, uh who to my knowledge is a is a relative newcomer i'm gonna go ahead and say i think this is one of her first roles if not her first role wow. um and then michael woods um who plays a character called franklin and it's again very loosely about a love story that kind of flourishes over the course of this one night but there's so much else going on in the meantime as well and i've i've heard loose descriptions of this as a musical music plays a, a massive part in this mm. film as a way of driving the narrative and driving the events that happens in that evening um and i think it's glorious i think it's so wonderful i know that it's been given five stars over on the um on the site today um and it is such a beautiful, unrushed change of gear for Steve McQueen as well. I mean, he's telling mm. some some important stories in the work that he's doing. This feels like more of a celebration of culture and music and of that that era, um, but not in an overly romantic or sentimental way. I think he's he's really struck something here, and I was really really impressed by it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're right. Plot wise, there's nothing essentially here but it, it in a time when none of us can socialize or go out to a house party or <laughs> see other people you know it, it's almost pornographic <laughs> to watch something like this which is people just <laughs> cramming into like a living room and dancing their cares away and uh and there is something deeply deeply joyful and and deeply important about that right now um to be reminded that there are other people out there in the world even if we can't see them so yeah, it's uh, atmosphere-wise, it, it's gorgeous. But but again, please do not go into this expecting any kind of actual, you know, narrative in a conventional sense. Yeah, you definitely. I mean, the setup in itself is like it's so poetically staged. Like it, it's funny you're saying pornographic, because um, there's a he he just rests in close up on these moments where they're setting things up. They're preparing food for the night that they're going to sell out of the kitchen. They're setting up these massive gargantuan like homemade amps, and he mm. just close like there's a close up of someone putting a jack into an amp, and you feel the static kind of filling the air, and mm. it is something about being in this hot like insular environment at the moment and you just feel yourself open up it's like a, it's like a concert film in a lot of ways i've been writing about a lot of concert films at the moment they seem to be having a real kind of renaissance this year and i think mm. it is definitely tied to the time that we're in but the way he summons this really visceral experience from this this just over the scale of this night like i cannot stress enough like the lack of plot that unfolds over this <laughs> night but it's so visceral and sweaty like there's literal mm. sweat running down the walls of the of the um room the, the central room at the dance floor is at one point and it is just electric like you can almost like feel it on your skin it's mm. really really beautiful in the latest issue of empire he we have a feature on small acts and he 
said that he wanted to re he wanted to capture on screen the sights and sounds and smells of growing up as a as a kid in London. And I think he does it here mm. absolutely. I mean, it's really hard. Obviously, we don't have smell of vision, but you know, you do get a sense of of, of just that that energy and, and vibrancy of this mm. time. Yeah, you, really, you really can terrific. almost smell the food as well. My God, those oh yeah. my stews God. look incredible. <laughs> oh. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not. Yes, yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there are, there are there. You know, there it's, it's not all sweetness and light, but uh, uh, you you tend to come out of a Steve McQueen movie. Uh, emotionally damaged in some way, <laughs> I think. Whether it's drained, shame or hunger drains. or twelve years a slave or <laughs> or even even widows, um, mm -hmm. and this one is much more celebratory and uh, joyful yeah. in spirit. Definitely, I think it's got the best music sequence of this year. Um, yeah, silly games Nailed is all I say, but yeah, I think one of the definitely one of the best music on film moments of of twenty twenty. Five stars then for Lovers Rock. That's the second five star Steve McQueen movie in two weeks. That may be a record. If he gets five stars for each one, that will be a record. Mm. Gosh. Well deserved. Mm. Dude's got fair. mad skills. 25 yeah. stars in total for small acts. That's incredible. That's incredible. Uh, next up, we are heading to Busan on a train to Busan because it is Train to Busan presents. Peninsula. So this is the sequel to Train to Busan, the incredible South Korean zombie film from a few years ago that was directed by Yuen Sang-ho. And he's back again, co-written this one and directed it. And this one opens it up. We're, we're, no long, we're, we're not on the train anymore. Uh, we are, well, well, on a peninsula. This, <laughs> there's, a, there's a spoiler. Hell's Bells. Mm. Tell us about this one. Yeah, I, uh, so I, first of all, cards on the table, I absolutely adore the first one, despite being totally terrified of zombies. I think it was in my top 10 for that year, and mm -hmm. I, I think it's just extraordinary. This one, I would consider a lesser beast, which is not to say that it's no good, just it, it's nowhere near as elegant, I think, as the first one was. But our story concerns um, uh, Seok Jun, who uh, is played by Gang Dong Won, and he is a captain in the Korean army. He is helping his sister, her husband, and their son get out of, uh, I think, Seoul when the when the you know the thing first erupts. They escape to a port. They escape by a ferry. Uh, wouldn't you know it? There's an infected person on the ferry. No. Uh, things go things go a bit wrong. So we then rejoin him four years later. He's kind of you know living on the edge in Hong Kong, very much a sort of part of the permanent kind of Korean underclass there of these refugees from their own country, and he gets a chance to kind of I guess start over by going back and basically recovering millions of dollars of American dollars that were stored in Korea. And they're just there for the taking because, of course, most of the people now living in Korea are infected. So he and his team are sent in to, to get the money and get straight back out again. And wouldn't you know it, things go <laughs> wrong. It'd be a short movie of it when things went right. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> and the thing is, look, it's it's not that there's nothing good in this movie. There's lots of cool little action scenes. There's lots of clever little beats. Um, really, really good performances. Um, I thought Gang was was incredible and super ridiculously handsome as well, which is a bonus. But it just <laughs> it just didn't feel like anything very different uh, or or special from other films out there. It felt like your average sort of post-apocalyptic-ish caper heist mission movie. And, and we actually 
There are quite a lot of those. And this has little, you know, tastes of things like Mad Max, but nothing as com- committed as that. It has little tastes of, well, just every post-apocalyptic movie really out there. And, and so I was interested. I, was never, I wasn't bored during it, but I was also, also frequently sitting there going, I mean, I've seen this kind of thing before. Whereas I never felt that way in Train to Be Sound. It just felt so different and, and full of life and full of kind of um, originality. Mm. And, and this one, you know, is, is well done, but it's, it's just a zombie movie. Ooh. Sorry. Just a zombie movie. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree with that. And again, Train to Be Sound, that is, that was just one of those wonderful experiences where I hadn't heard anything about it and just chanced it because my local cinema was doing like one pound tickets for its birthday. And I was like, yeah, I'll go <laughs> and see that. I've got a normal house share. Let's, let's go on down. And it's one of the first times I've literally crawled away from the screen, like clambered over my housemate to try and get away from this like wall of zombies that are like cascading towards you. Mm-hmm. And then it's got real fucking heart as well. Um, Ma Dong Siok, again, I apologize for um, pronunciation, but he's he's going to be in the Eternals next year and I'm really excited to mm. see him in that. But he had this wonderful little part in it um, as this dad-to-be who's also this like massive bodybuilder and you really, really want these people to make it out of the the train yeah. and and you really do connect with them. And I really, really did struggle to connect with the story of the, the central character in this film. And, and as you say, it just borrows cues from everything from like Logan or Leon to 28 days later to 28 mm. weeks later to Walking Dead um, to Fast and Furious. Like the, it visually is very, very cool and slick and adventurous in that regards. But as you say, it's just something we've seen many times before. And then there is just this real pressure to live up to the the experience of watching the first one, which mm. was a really, you know, in a, in a place where adaptations and sequels and things are dominating this kind of area of, of cinema, like to see something truly this unique in this genre was, was brilliant. So I think it's almost like there had to be a sequel and, and this is what they could do with the resources that they had almost. Don't you think like they could have done literally anything else because it's a different char- uh, <laughs> yeah. cast of characters. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you could have followed this cast of characters through their attempts to escape the same outbreak or they could have been, you know, locked on somewhere at that point and now for some reason are having to... Like, it just feels like there's too much plot in a way, I think, and, and you wanted, as you say, more character work, more more atmosphere, more just feeling um, than maybe this one has room for because there's a lot of, like, story building and... Mm. Uh, plot machinations here that yeah. maybe we don't need. Maybe but, too much. I mean, too much plot. Too yeah. much plot. It's not. It's not a bad film. It's just nowhere near the sort of sublime almost experience of the first. Yeah, definitely. But I, 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 I liked it. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was. You know, decent. Uh, you know, but I'm a, I'm a sucker for for zombie action. Mm. Uh, some decent scenes. It has possibly the worst exposition I've ever seen in a, in, a, in a major movie. <laughs> there's a there's a glorious bit towards the beginning where. Uh, whether there's a, a like a chat show, like a news show, oh and there's God. two Americans oh. uh, who are absolutely terrible actors, and they're trying to bring the audience up to speed on what's happened, and they're going, so, so what then? Then what happened? And well, well, after that, then then uh, Korea itself was was isolated, but this was four years ago, right? Yes, that's right, four <laughs> years ago. I just, just, I mean, so it was, bad. that was so. I I almost wondered if that was deliberate satire, because like there's. 
surely there's no way they do that on purpose. Like, You'd think, right? That's oh, give that's given the benefit of the doubt. But, I, uh, I would like to, yeah. Yeah. But this reminded me, you know, in a, in a way that you know, I'm glad it didn't just do the same beats as Train to Busan. I'm glad that it tried to break the story out a little bit and have a bit of fun with it. Um, I'd be more than happy to have more stories in this world from the same director because, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And the zombies are still fucking terrifying. So I'm Oh my God, yeah. yeah. They really let into like that physicality, didn't they? Yeah. Where it's mm. very just written and predictable. Like, how are you doing that without your back breaking? Like, what's <laughs> what's going on there? Um, but yeah, more more of that. Uh, a third Train to Busan movie, maybe team up with the third long, eagerly awaited 28 months later. I'm, I, I can see this happening, guys. Make it happen. Make it happen. All right. So then, three stars. Three stars for Train to Busan presents Peninsula. Also this week, we are going to be talking about Rogue. Fox versus Lion. Yeah, Fox versus Lions. It's not really that there was a Jimbo. It, I mean, it kind of is. <laughs> but I have to say, this film is 100% what I needed at the moment. You know, like we talk a lot about the kind of films that we've really lacked this year. And for me, you know, mm. with, the ex- with the, you know, exception of things like Extraction and whatnot, like I need dumb, fun films. Yep. And there's some of that in this, but then there's some other stuff as well. But let's start from the beginning. So this is, of course, the new film by MJ Bassett. Um, and it stars Megan Fox as Captain Helen O'Hara a mercenary podcaster yes. <laughs> waging war against the patriarchy on all fronts or indeed on all fours because the metaphor for the patriarchy in this is a large African cat. Um, no, of course that is not true. It is in fact uh, Captain Samantha O'Hara, the leader of a crack kind of mercenary team uh, and they're sent to uh, the African bush to free the local governor's daughter from a group of Al-Shabaab extremists which quite naturally goes foobar in a hurry. Now, this film kicks off with a 20-minute firefight, which I have to say is really fucking well done. Uh, It's probably edge of your seat stuff. I really, really Mm. enjoyed it. Uh, And then it transitions from that it transitioned from a kind of stand-up sort of uh, platoon film to an old-fashioned monster movie because the remains of her team end up sort of holed up in this in this farmhouse. <laughs> the remains of the remains of her team. <laughs> the remains of the remains <laughs> are left in this farmhouse and they're stalked by this seriously pissed-off lion who's been abused by traffickers at a lion farm. So... On paper, this sounds like absolute rubbish. But and no one was more surprised than me. It really isn't. Like it's 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 loads and loads of fun. And I think like the firefight sequences, which I've said, are really really well constructed. They're kind of nail biting, and the uh, leonine interlude that makes up the kind of latter part of the film is is really really tense. And it's got lots of lovely fake outs, and it's got fun moments. And there's a brilliant scene with night vision goggles. Um, I really liked her squad. I thought the dynamic between them was really mm. really good. I thought I had great camera some really sparky dialogue uh, and some properly funny asides not to mention a bizarre but absolutely delightful running gag involving the Backstreet Boys um, and you don't get to say that about nearly enough films these days which is to cinemas lost <laughs> I think Fox is hard as nails. She's like, despite looking like she did spend a good hour with a stylist before heading behind enemy lines, I actually think, you know, she's really good as the the platoon leader in this. Uh, And Jessica Sutton is in in this, playing the the governor's daughter. And she, people may recognise her from Fort Salem, which MJ Bassett has also directed. Uh, I would say, I mean, downside wise, the CGI lion is pretty 
properly shit. I mean, come on, guys. We've seen The Lion King. We know this shit can look better. What happened? I think the answer is they didn't have Disney's budget. I mean, yeah, (laughs) it's it's, it's CG lions on a budget. I mean, that's not great. And I think the other thing I would say is that the the, the Al-Shabaab terrorists are just the wrong side of tired stereotype. But, Mm. you know, other than that, I know I did. I had an awful lot of fun, an awful lot of fun with this. And uh, Mm. and I know that like uh, Bassett's like a former wildlife presenter and like there's a conversation a conversationist message to this film i've got to be honest though framing the lion as a man-eating monster is probably not the way i'd have chosen to <laughs> warn people to them as a species but fuck it what do i know you know i mean i think reminding people that lions are dangerous is probably not a bad thing especially when you know <laughs> in the context overall regarding sort of lion farming and yeah. uh, and so on yeah the Lion King's got a lot to answer for. You think yeah. of, 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 of Don Jr. and Eric a lot during this film, and I think that's possibly <laughs> intentional. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm 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 with you, James. Actually, I you know I think we have been lucky this year that we have had a steady stream of um, of you know independent films of you know what would normally be sort of art house films that might be quite hard to see, and they've been going to VOD and they've been going to digital release, and people have been able to see them, and we've had maybe more time and headspace to talk about them than we otherwise would. Mm. And and that has been good. I'm not, you know, the quality of films overall this year has been high. I'm not saying otherwise, but there is a place for big dumb action movies, and and that Ooh. place in our hearts has been empty. <laughs> um, and and, and so it. yeah, and and honestly, we're probably maybe going easy on this film as a result. I don't know, but I, I don't care because it's just nice to see people shooting things. And I say that as a gun control advocate. <laughs> 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 it just you know there's a place for big dumb movies yeah. where people f- face concrete physical threats instead of existential dilemmas and, I and need I... terrorists being mauled by lions god damn it and this film <laughs> I mean, gave it to me among us doesn't <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. It's like the best use of a Backstreet Boys song since Magic Mike XXL. Yes. And for that, I would be grateful. Mm. I, I don't mean this to sound patronizing, but it's just nice to see Megan Fox working like this again. Mm. So it's really nice to see her in that regards. I would have liked to have seen her do. She does some fucking cool stuff at the end where there's the big sort of showdown where there's the lion and the terrorists and it's like lion taking on terrorists, terrorists taking on lions. Mm. And she gets to do some really strategic fighting, which I would have liked to have seen a bit more of. I'd also like to have seen her be just a, just a smudge more compassionate, considering the people they are rescuing have been mm. human trafficked. Mm. Like these are young women who have seen darker times and she's there not making their lives any easier, admittedly rescuing them, but you know... Under sufferance. A kind word here and there wouldn't be too much amiss. And I also like that was... It's dumb fun. I love dumb fun. I would have just liked a little bit more context around these girls being sex slaves. Like they do a whole, you know, it it ends on a big message about animal farming and cruelty towards animals. Mm. And I'm like, absolutely make this a bit human trafficking as well. Maybe just like a little bit. Let me just use that a little bit as well. So that was my only major flaw with the story, I think. But in in terms Mm. of, yes, good, dumb, fun, absolutely. And I think she's found her footing here. I'd like to see her go down this vein of of quite exhausting, but ultimately brilliant Backstreet Boys, Leighton B movies. With lions. More films with (laughs) lions and Backstreet Boys. That's what we've got on this. Yeah, man. Yeah. Do you remember when they turned up and this is the end? Yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) That, in fact, is the greatest cinematic (laughs) moment for the Backstreet Boys. Of course, the the greatest the greatest uh, moment involving the Backstreet Boys is the cold open of that ba- uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine episode. 
Oh my God, yes. Jake gets the, the lineup to sing um, I, I Want, want it, it That, that Way. One. And it's yeah. just so, so good. Also, Philip Winchester's really good in this movie. who's worked yeah. a lot with MJ over, over the years on a whole bunch of stuff. So he's very funny in this. Uh, and I read an interview with uh, MJ Bassett. We didn't really talk about Winchester that much. But I interviewed him on the set of Thunderbirds years and years and years ago. Oh, and yes, he's in Strike he was. Back and stuff like that. And he's really good. And, and MJ was saying in a previous interview that Philip Winchester is like really capable. He's funny. He's good looking. He can do the action stuff in his sleep. Why isn't Hollywood caught on to this mm. guy? And I would say, yes, very catch funny on to this, this guy. Very yeah. funny. Very handsome also, yes. <laughs> yes, I also agree that he's yes. very handsome. Well, I didn't say handsome. Yes, I he's also very handsome. Did I? <laughs> yeah, did you I? did. Maybe it's just a reflex. Sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you did. Three stars then for Rogue. Uh, it is a ton of fun. And uh, also out this week, very, very quickly, also out this week, because of lockdown, uh, Mank, the new David Fincher movie uh, about Herman J. Mankovich, the, the co-writer of Citizen Kane, starring Gary Oldman, is going to be, I believe, in one cinema in Scotland and maybe a couple of cinemas in Wales. So congratulations to the 10 people who are going to go see Mike uh, this week. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. You will enjoy it. We will talk about this movie when it's out on Netflix proper in the first week of December. Uh, but we gave us five stars. Five mm. stars for the new David Fincher. So get ready. Get ready. It's coming. It is coming. Uh, and on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by someone. Haven't locked them down yet, and I don't want to say their names in case it doesn't happen. Um, but uh, hopefully we'll have someone very cool and fun on next week's podcast. Oh, all right, then. I'll come back. All right. <laughs> Helen's back. <laughs> Helen's back. James, it rules you out, I'm afraid. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But anyway, until then, until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again, it is goodbye from Beth on the Nile, Beth Webb. Goodbye to you, Chris. Goodbye to you. That's a very formal uh, goodbye, Beth. Uh, that's maybe the wishing most Wishing you all the best. Goodbye. Wishing you all the best. Love to you and yours. <laughs> good night and good luck. <laughs> good night. <laughs> God bless. What was it Dave Allen used to say? May your God go with you. I always liked that as a sign off. You ever, you ever see Dave Allen doing stand-up? Or oh, he used to sit down on BBC One and at the end of his show he would go, so I thank you for watching. May your God go with you. Uh, I always liked the fact it was may your God go with you, which I thought was very inclusive. Anywho, uh, it is goodbye from, what's your name this week, Jimbo? Lion-O. Uh, yes. Put a lot of thought I'm not going to scream ho at you because <laughs> I feel that would be a little bit on point. <laughs> also, it would just make Helen go, what? What? <laughs> yeah. Hello? What? Did someone say ho? Uh, which is Helen's initials. Yeah. Hey. You're not just being offensive. Yeah. Anyway, yes, not being offensive. Not not now. Uh, I mean, earlier on, no yes. No more than usual. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, it's goodbye from Jimbo. Bye, Jimbo. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, 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 bye. Uh, it's goodbye from Helen, who's off to prepare to shed a single tear. Salt and burn, people. Salt and burn. Um, also, goodbye. <laughs> I'm off to combine two of the themes of this week's show and shave a lion and put it up on Instagram and if that doesn't make those fuckers verify me then nothing will thank you so much for listening see you next time bye bye <laughs> <laughs>